One Pride, this is the Roar of the Lions UK podcast, a podcast where one pride goes worldwide. My name is Anthony Fitzpatrick, I'm joined this evening by Ryan McCluskey. It is Wednesday evening, which can only mean one thing, we are here for the college football podcast, House of the Rising Sunbelt Part 2, Kinney Get It Done, I'll explain that one later, but we are going to be taking a look after last week, we looked at the Sunbelt East and today we're going to continue our conference preview journey on to the Sun Belt West. But first, let me bring in Ryan. Ryan, how are you doing this week? I'm good, yeah. Getting excited for the start of college football season. Well, I was until I found out yesterday that as of right now, I've got no way to watch it. Because, once again, America takes a big old middle finger FU to the Brits over here. Yes. Unfortunately. Yeah, the, the devastating news, the ESPN player is not going to be available to people over in the UK this season, so they're going to have to go and find some more creative ways of watching their college football. I um, I just watch YouTube, I watch most YouTube streams are pretty much alright, unless you're going for the really big games, but even then, they're usually pretty good, but we will, uh, we will see what happens there, but yeah, not good news for British college football fans. ESPN player is down, so yeah, going to have to use other means instead. Right, hope everyone is well this evening. Just going to go through all the housekeeping bits and bobs before we start this off. So don't forget, Roar of the Lions UK Discord. If you want in, let us know. We will fire you a link over. Main podcast, um, if you haven't seen this week's episode from Monday, do go check it out. We did an NFC North roundtable with representatives from the Minnesota Vikings and the Chicago Bears. We had a good bit of fun with that one, jabbing a lot of jokes towards the Green Bay Packers because they weren't there to defend themselves. Um, Don't forget to like and sub to everything. Twitch, YouTube, I can see we're in the middle of a Twitch raid at the minute. Thank you to everyone who's joined in there. No doubt Jeremy and Eric have sent them over. Hope you're well, Jeremy. Hope you're well, Eric. Hope you're well, everybody who has joined in the chat there. I will get to all the comments and that in a moment. But yeah, don't forget to like and sub everything YouTube, Twitch-wise. We really appreciate it. Don't forget Lions Nation Unite. We are a part of that Herman Moore's pet project to bring together the very best of Lions YouTube content creators into one app where you, the fans, can just find it all in one easy-to-access place. So if you haven't already... Do go check out Lions Nation Unite. Don't forget we are a Twitch affiliate as well. We're monetized on YouTube. We have a tip jar. So if you want to support the podcast in any way, shape, or form, then we would love that. But we don't really care about We just care about having you here and spending our evenings with you talking Detroit Lions and college football. And don't forget there is a feedback form as well. So if you have any comments on the show, any ways you think we can make it better, just fill that in or just let us know in the comments. Who knows? Um, I just want to say a very big shout-out to... Um, John from last week, he was actually a Marshall fan who has watched our show last week from the uh, the Sun Belt East preview and he uh, he thanked us ever so much for doing a very detailed thorough breakdown on them which he loved and I just absolutely love the fact 
that there are fans from the Sun Belt over in America who have actually listened to this show to uh, see what we're saying about those teams. So, hey, John, really appreciate you. Thank you very much for that. Right, we are going to go through a couple of little bits of news for something we covered last week and another team that has been naughty in college football as well who's had a little bit of a slap on the wrist. Then we're going to go straight down into the Sun Belt West previews. But just let me get to everyone first. Michael Brewart's in the chat. He says, howdy, UK brothers. Hope you are doing well. We are good. Hope you are well as well, Michael. Dan Pask is in the building. Hey, Ant, Twitch Raid. Hope you're doing well, Dan. Enjoyed your show with Eric yesterday. Your new tea sessions that he does on his Twitch channels. Do go check them out. They are uh, they are really good indeed. Loved listening to him and Eric on that one. And in the Twitch chat, yeah, thank you to Pride of Detroit who has raided us there. We've had a few guys. James McClaw. Um, what if you get a VPN? I'm guessing that's for the college football thing. That's probably what most of us are going to do. So we will uh, we will get in with that. Don't worry about that at all. Cattle Snacks says, JJ McCarthy for Heisman. <clears throat> I beg to differ, but we'll talk about that <laughs> in a few weeks when we do our prediction shows just before the college football season. We will be putting together our predictions as to who we think will win the Heisman. I don't know. Maybe Ryan might surprise me. I do not know. Uh, big thanks to Flint Town and Down who has subscribed with Prime. Subscribed for six months in a row. Hope you are doing well. Flint Town goes ants in the pants, indeed. First time chat from Sundog. Thank you very much. X Lost Oceans X has subscribed at tier one. They've been subscribed for four months. Really appreciate you. And yeah, Detroit has subscribed at tier one. They've subscribed to us for three months now, so thank you very much. We appreciate it all. Cooldown Rat is in there. Mike the Marine is in there. David Reinfurt is in there. Hope you guys are all doing well. Much love to you, as always. Um, right, Ryan, let's um, kick this one off this evening. So before we talk about the Sunbelt West, the previews there, we've, um, we've had some naughty teams in college football these last few weeks. Obviously, last week we talked about the... Um, firing of Pat Fitzgerald from Northwestern, the sexual hazing scandal that has developed there, and I believe you put in our Discord chat as of today, another player has come forward with more allegations, but just very quickly about this, because we did talk about it last week, this looks like it's going to stretch on for a good chunk of the season, and this looks like it could be very damaging for them, and I'm assuming... Head, ca- head coach candidates at the minute are kind of keeping arms distance going, I ain't committing just yet. There's uh, got to be some resolution to this first. Yeah, this is going to be something that goes on for, I'm going to say years more than months. I feel like this is going to be a dark cloud for a long time. They'll only be able to hire, they won't be able to hire anyone, I reckon. It's going to have to be an interim head coach this season. I can't see anyone willing to make the external hire. They lost uh, Nigel Gavin, their four-star freshman linebacker. He had at the portal the other day. He said, nope, don't need this amount. Yeah, and two players now, I believe, that were in the, attended the university between 2018 and 2022 have now launched lawsuits. And one of them has named the former athletic director as the defendant. So they're saying that they were harassed sexually, physically, mentally. And yeah, they're they're coming after the uh, the program itself. So, a, a school that is doing well for the last two or three years, pretty badly on the field right now. Right now, it's probably going to get a lot worse off a bit as well. Recruiting is going to be very difficult in the next few years if they feel like it's a bad culture. So, 
it's not a good time to be a Wildcats fan or a player. I feel like the, the locker room this year, it, it's going to be difficult. They had their media day, either today or yesterday, I believe. They had their quarterback, they had a few players speaking. It it can't have been difficult for the players that are just joining all the, the players that are still there right now. Mm. Obviously, there's not a lot of things they're allowed to ask, but there's going to be a lot more skeletons that come out of closets and there's going to be a lot more players that come out and make accusations between now and probably start at week zero. I reckon we'll have at least a few more that come out. Yeah, it's it's not looking good for the programme at the minute. It is in dire straits both on and off the field and yeah, this feels like it's going to get a lot worse before it starts to get better for them. But we'll keep an eye on the story and if anything else major comes out we will carry on updating that. Um, another school... That has been in bother um, this week for recruiting violations this time. That would be the Tennessee Volunteers of the SEC. Obviously, we drafted their quarterback draft just gone. This doesn't really relate to his time there. This goes back to when uh, Jeremy Pruitt was the head coach back in Tennessee a few years ago. But they have been hit with no fewer than 200 recruiting violations Um all sorts of stuff like the giving of free accommodation, payments that should have been made, you know, promises that made that shouldn't have been. All this sort of stuff has been handed down to them, and and they've been you know sanctioned pretty heavily. They've been given an eight million dollar fine, which they got to pay up. They've had to vacate eleven wins. I think it's from the twenty nineteen and twenty twenty season. I vacating wins seems very pointless because everyone knows they won. It just shows up on a stat sheet, but. They've been done for that, and there's quite a few lower-level sanctions they've had handed down. I know they're not allowed to have as many official visits as they should, so it's going to be harder for them to recruit because they can only organise official visits with so many recruits to come to site. But they've they've been a little bit naughty. Not this head coach, but the previous one, and um, they, they're, they're going to suffer for this a little in the short run, especially with all the recruiting uh, sort of penalties that have been placed on them. It's a weird one because that... All these sanctions, all the faults are found. And like my own Arizona State Sun Devils, they're, they're yet to really hear the feedback and the punishment from there. Like two and a half years ago, Mamar was having, in the middle of a COVID pandemic, when you were not allowed to have official visits on campus, no one could come in that want a student. Like they were going out in the dark and after hours and showing players around the locker room, the facilities, and they were hit with very severe recruiting punishments, the Sun Devils. But they yet to really have a punishment. It's been hanging over them ever since. But then, like, Tennessee do kind of the same thing, and then they get, like, a long list of, like, punishments, wins removed. It's like some cases are quickly sped up, depending on how high-profile the program is, and some are just kind of left to linger in the background. Arizona State are really yet to find out what's going to happen. I'm pretty sure they're not to vacate any wins or anything like that. Or I don't know, it's odd. It well, doesn't surprise me, to be honest. A Tennessee school, what, making backhanded and under-the-table payments from an SEC with boosters? I mean, that's been going on forever, hasn't it? Can't yeah, exactly it's... be a new thing, but... Yeah, I, the whole vacating thing wins to me is... Is always weird. I see it's very pointless. Yeah. It can't hurt the team now. Why don't you just ban them from ball games for the next few years? Like I don't see what the good it is taking wins off from the past. Feels, feels... Because you don't give the other team the win, do they? No. No. 
and and you know it, it's no good to them if that one win would have got them a bowl game or a conference win hell a conference title it's like yeah no no taking that back so I, I just don't get the point of it but David Reinfurt mentions it he goes didn't Penn State do something similar as well where's the uproar about them I think I think that's kind of similar in the same basket to your guys at Arizona State as in they know but they've not done anything about it yet this 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 is from like four or five years ago so you might be waiting a few more years till the Arizona State Penn State sanctions come but pretty sure they know about it. it feels like one of those mob rules things don't they where like the SEC have just served up like a low ball for them to punish and not really punished to appear like they're clamping down on their deviant ways but I, I don't know but anyhow Tennessee have had a slap on the wrist they've, they've got to pay some stuff you know they're getting recruiting sanctions against them it, it shouldn't really affect them in the long run but we'll, but we'll see with it and we'll see if more teams get done because as Ryan says his own team is waiting at the minute and it it's a little bit of a pain when you've got that hanging over you and you don't know what's coming because you know you can't move forward with your team until you know what these punishments are going to be. Anyhow, let's move it on. Talked about teams getting punished. We're going to get to the crux of the show now. As you, If you were with us last week, we started our conference previews uh, of the Sun Belt. We did the Sun Belt East. And this week, we are moving on to the wild, wild Sun Belt West as it is home of the Sun Belt champions from last year. Detroit Trojans, can anybody supplant them this season? There are a few guys in the SEC East who might, but let's have a look through at the Sun Belt West to see if anyone is in there. So the seven teams we are going to be talking about today. Um, so just to imagine, last week we talked about Appalachian State, Coastal Carolina, Georgia Southern, Georgian State, James Madison, Marshall and Old Dominion. Today we're going to be talking about Arkansas State, Louisiana, Louisiana Monroe, South Alabama, Southern Miss, Texas State, and then finishing it off with the champions, Troy. Let me just get down, so I've got about 50 pages of notes here, need to get halfway down. And we are going to start today off with the Arkansas State Red Wolves, established 1911. They play at the Centennial Bank Stadium, their 2021 record. They went 2-10, and ten. they were 1-7 and seven in the Sun Belt, 2022, they went 3-9, and nine, but still 1-7 and seven in the Sun Belt, so one more out of conference win, but just two wins in the Sun Belt in the last two years for the Red Wolves. Their rivalry game is with Memphis, it's called the Paint Bucket Bowl, and yes, they do have a paint bucket as a trophy, which they fight for over in that one. Um, head coach... Butch Jones, this is his third year. Um, I did not update that. It says second because I used last year. It's his third year there. Started his head coach career at Central Michigan. Had three winning seasons in the MAC. Finished 27-13. In three years, he won two MAC championships, one bowl game. On the back of that, he was hired by Cincinnati. Had successive Big East conference titles and successive bowl wins with them. Then he got a big job offer with the Tennessee Volunteers in the SEC and initially very successful with the team, maintained an above 500 record with them, but sort of towards the end, things fell apart. He ended up 34 and 27 there, but the conference record was 14 and 24, which in the SEC, it's not great. Um, in his last season, he was fired when the team was four and six, but they were... 0-6 in the SEC. He ended up at Alabama, as a lot of people do, as an offensive analyst until Arkansas State came knocking in 2020 in what 
was a big coup for them. Arkansas State were a Sun Belt power in the 2010s. They won it like five times. They won conference five times. Uh, the team had um, nine straight bowl appearances prior to the 2021 season, as I just said, but they collapsed big time uh, to two and ten in his first year. It got little better in year two. Just one more win on the books and just a solitary win in the conference for the second year running. He's five and nineteen. And he's just 2-14 and 14 in the Sun Belt. Year 3 needs to see some more tangible improvement for a program that has fallen from glory into relative demeanor. Now, he's we're looking at coaches on the hotspot this year. I think, you know, we're not seeing too many so far. But Butch, this is a program that expects and two conference wins in two years is, is not going to enamor him much there despite his reputation. And another one of those years... Might be might be in a bit of bother with his job, Ryan. I think this could be the last year he's the Red Wolves head coach. If he musters up the pitiful performance of the last two years, I think it's time to move on. Just because he's been around the block and been at big programs where he's had limited success, that won't buy him any luck. As you mentioned, Arkansas State were yeah a, a powerhouse. They were a big deal between 2010 and like 2019. The last few years, they've fallen into, well, they've gone past obscurity into irrelevance. And that's that's quite bad. Arkansas football is pretty big. And in the last few years, they've had some very notable players and they have not made the most of them whatsoever. I remember once upon a time, like a few years ago, they had one of the best quarterbacks in the nation. Uh, Lane Hatcher. Yeah, he was like one of the best quarterbacks like if like four years across the FBS and they've just struggled both sides of the ball and the Sun Belt is not that difficult that you can win so few games in conference no real excuse for that so yeah if you don't if you don't go at least 500 in the the division or the conference this year I think uh, he's going to be axed yeah, and, and unfortunately for him, the Sun Belt is something of an arms race now, isn't it? There's, there's there's a race to the top, and there's a lot of teams who want to be there, and it is it's not the conference right now to be the low-hanging fruit. It's like being an apple in a field full of horses. Everybody's going to take a bite out of you because you're just there to be eaten, and you know, you've know you got to turn that around. I'll go into the 2022 stats just in a sec. Just want to shout out some more people who are listening. Lisa DeLorenzo, she's in the building, says, Hi, everyone. Hope you are doing well, Lisa. Matt Corley chimes in on YouTube. Listening from sunny and warm Batesville, Mississippi. Thank you for joining us this evening. Hope you are doing well there. Right, so the, t- the stats for the 2022 season. So the wins... Um, came against Gram. I'm gone. I've just lost my place. Um, the, the Grambling State at home, Louisiana Monroe at home, and UMass at home. So yeah, a who's who of small teams and bad teams at home. The wins there, the losses at Ohio State, at Memphis, at Old Dominion versus James Madison, at Southern Miss, at Louisiana versus South Alabama at Texas State and versus Troy. So was a pretty brutal old schedule for them, but that, that is not going to change in the near future. The stats, the total offense was 118th in the nation. The total defense was 90th, so a little better. 
Scoring offense was actually 85th, so not a lot of offense, but they did a fair bit with the little that they did there. The scoring defense, though, was 107th. They gave up 31 points a game as opposed to scoring 25 per game. The rushing offense was 128th, so fourth worst in the nation. They only mustered up 88 yards per game on average, just 16 touchdowns and only 2.7 yards per carry. The rushing defense was 82nd. They gave up 162 yards per game, so double they gave up what they rushed for. 23 touchdowns, 4 yards per carry. Wasn't great. The passing offense was 73rd. The passing defense was 90th. Uh, sacks, they were 90th. Tackles for loss, they were 44th. So, did a little better with tackles for loss, but sacks allowed, they were 114th. Tackles for loss allowed, they were 130th. They gave up 107 tackles for loss last season. Turnover margin, they were 46th, which sounds good, but they gained only 12 turnovers and they lost 9. So, it was more a case of they just didn't lose the ball much, but they didn't gain it either. I mean, it's... Again, you know, sort of going into year two, that's that's just brutal across the board, really. And I know the schedule's not easy, but there's nothing that team's really hanging its hat on, per se. The offense and the defense, just both not great. It's year two, and that, that needs to change quickly. Yeah, I don't know where you start. Uh, what do you fix first? I, it was bad, pretty much in every asset, apart from not turning over the ball, but they don't risk the ball. If you're not making big plays and taking risks, you don't get turnovers, but also you don't score any points. So they're a team that is pretty much going nowhere very quickly on both sides of the ball. No, um, it's it's going to be a struggle there. And you take a look at this season and there's going to be a lot of problems. So the quarterback, you, you may know him because he was in the Pac-12 last year as a starter. It is JT Schrute. It's his first season at Arkansas State. It's his fifth in college. Uh, he missed all of 2021 due to a torn ACL. Spent last year as starter at Colorado. He threw for just 44% completion, 1,216 yards, seven touchdowns, eight interceptions. He rushed for just 51 yards and a touchdown, but he fumbled the ball eight times, including four times in one game against Oregon. I do remember that game quite clearly. The uh, the numbers sound really bad, and they are, but as Ryan will be able to attest, he was also playing on an abysmal team, and he received very little help as soon as Shadur Sanders arrived with his dad, Coach Prime. Pretty much every other Colorado QB hit the portal, including him. He he will be an upgrade for this team, whose offense was not great last year, but but kind of how much of an upgrade remains to be seen. I mean, he's that Colorado team was was not great last year, and I know it's not all on him, but it kind of is a little bit as well. Yeah, right, five percent. That's that's dreadful, and eight fumbles. Like I say, he didn't carry the ball that much, but to turn it over that many times, especially coming to a team that we just heard, so he fumbled it nearly as many times as they turned it over the season. Mm. That's not going to be a good combination because that's the only thing they actually had going for them was ball security. So it's a weird mix because if you look at him, he'll feel he was forced out and he had no choice but to leave. Yeah. And he'll probably feel like he didn't have many options. But he's come out of a team also that, well doesn't also have many options for that position so it's either going to be a match made in heaven 
or it's going to be a total disaster on all fronts and he don't want to be there it don't work out well for him and he just fades into obscurity but it could also be the resurrection of Shrew. It could. Uh, it, it's an interesting mix. It could. And for Butch Jones, it's, it is a power five. It's a starting power five quarterback that he has managed to convince to come to Arkansas State. He needs a good season. So he's got this guy. And so the preview in general for this team, as I said, the Rebels, they've got to start moving on an upward trajectory this season for his era to continue there. It starts with the offense, which needs to at least just try and even be slightly confident. Um, for Shrout, he's going to be trial by fire. The offensive line was 114th or worse for sacks and tackles for loss last season, and they blocked for the fourth worst run offense in the FBS. They, they do bring back three starters. It helps for continuity in the line, and they have gone to the portal. So they bought in the really experienced Lamar center Jacob Bayer. Lamar been a decent team. He's a good acquisition for them. They've bought in Jalen Cunningham, the guard from Old Miss. He's been a rotational guy there to try and bring some life into the unit. But I mean, they've lost as well. Top target last year, Seydou Triore, the tight end. We all know he went to Colorado, then decided he didn't want to go to Colorado, and now he's actually ended up at Miss State. So Seydou Triore is going to go crazy with Will Rogers throwing to him next year but he's not at Arkansas State anymore but Shrap does get some good news former two-year wide receiver Corey Rucker is back with the program he had a year away at South Carolina but things never got going for him so he's come back to Arkansas State where he had two really good years previously um, the running back room is barren uh, leading rusher Johnny Lang is out of eligibility the next best rusher Brian Sneed is back but he didn't even have 300 yards on the season and after that, it, it's new guys in the rotation. So there's very little prior production. There's talent, but it's a major unknown group this year. So offense, still tons of questions. Defensively, they did make strides last year. So in year one under Butch, they were 130th in total defense. They were 90th last year. So that is, you know, progress. Significant enough. But they need that momentum to keep going if they want to stand a chance of winning more games. So their star hybrid linebacker, outside linebacker, Kevon Bennett, is gone. He was the guy to watch last year that we recommended on this team. He led the team in sacks, tackles for loss, and forced fumbles. He's now in the Canadian Football League, actually. And their star corner, Kenneth Harris, has been poached by Oklahoma State in the portal, which weakens the secondary that didn't do a whole lot outside of him. But... Where the portal takes, the portal can give back as well. They've landed very talented North Alabama DT Micah Bland. He will bring some juice to the D-line, but the edges have really got to start producing this year because there's no standout guy in there. They've got a good enough pair of starting linebackers. The safety group is pretty good. You've got Eddie Smith there. He was one of the uh, Sunbelt's best safeties last year, and the, and, and, the room, and the room is pretty good. So there is a frame to work with, but... There's not much depth. They've got to hope the main guys stay healthy, Ryan. There's, there's just still a lot of questions to be answered here to really figure out what they're going to be this season. Yeah, they've brought in a lot of faces, lost a lot of faces. There were no continuity. Yeah, they lost their biggest weapon. Like that, that's that's going to be big. When a tight end can rely on his uh, his tight end to be his security blanket, and then you you take it away like a bit like a child that's a bit cranky. Kind of want it just cries, doesn't it? Don't want to settle. Yeah. So now this new QB has lost that that Titan. So the the remaining people, someone's going to have to step up and be the guy that can catch 
60, 70 balls off him this year. That don't happen and no one steps up to be that guy, then it will fall apart the seams because he doesn't sound like they're going to be able to rely on a strong ground game. So offensively, it's yeah, it's going to be a real slog. And then defensively, uh, it's going to be hard, like I say, because he didn't get many sack, sacks or tackles for losses. It sounds like generating pressure really is an issue getting to the quarterback. So they need to hope that the guys are brought into the portal are finishers because they need finishers. Mm, yeah, yeah, I mean, they got some good ones out of the SCS, but yeah, just too many questions, and you know, they're just one of those programs who is is at the bottom and getting poached of its talent. The schedule gives them opportunities, so they don't play week zero. They start away at Oklahoma and at home to Memphis, which is a bit rough. But then you're at home to Stony Brook, you're at home to Southern Miss, and you're away at UMass. So you have got opportunity there, but then the schedule gets nasty. They're away at Troy. They have their bye week, but then they're home to Coastal Cal, away to Louisiana Monroe, at home to Louisiana, away to South Alabama, at home to Texas State, and and away at Marshall. I mean, you've got Troy, South Alabama, and Marshall on the road who are all going to be competing for the conference. Then you've got Coastal Cal and Louisiana at home who are also going to be competing for the conference. It's You've got that period of three games there where you can make some wins and get some momentum. If you don't win... Like more than one of those, I think they're in a lot of bother this year. Yeah, those first two games, they're going to lose. They know it, but it's not bad for a new QB to at least just just warm up the arm. Hmm. If at least if the offense can get you know work out a few things before they get to the actual games, like Stony Brook, I'd expect them to clap them about a bit. Being an FCS team. But then, like I say, in, instantly into Southern Miss, and now we're going to see what they've learned across the first three games. They struggle there, they've not learned anything. And, yeah, and then if they struggle against Southern Miss and they're winless by then, it could be an on 12 year. It, 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 the wheels could be falling off the bus. So, yeah, how they start is really going to tell us a lot about how they'll finish. Oh, yeah, the floor is definitely like one win here. Um, I think the ceiling, if they get those three in a row, the possible ones against UMass and that, you could win five, I reckon. I don't think they're a bowl team yet, but you, you can get nearer to it. And you've got to. You've got to be getting near to a bowl this year if you want to show extensive progress. Finishing them off, the player to watch, I've mentioned him already, but the wide receiver, Corey Rucker, is damn good. He's 6'1", 212 pounds. He's proven production with the Red Wolves. He's going to be pivotal to this offense going forward. He is very positionally versatile. He plays. He's played a full season at slot and a full season on the outside. So he brings that versatility with him. Can move it up and down the line. Get the right matches for him. And if Shrew can get going, then Rook is going to be his main target. So I would expect him to sort of pop off the sheet, especially against some of those weaker teams. I think he will do well. So Corey Rook of the wide receiver, the guy to watch there. Right, let us move it on and next we are going to talk about the uh, the former Sunbelt champions, the Louisiana Raging Cajuns. They were established 1901. They play at Cajun Field. The 2021 season, the last of Billy Napier's reign, terrific. They went 13-1. and They swept the Sunbelt 8-0. and Sunbelt champions. But 2022 season... Six and seven, they went four and four in the Sun Belt. There was always going to be regression in Napier's departure. And as we're going to see, it's not as bad as it looks there on paper. So the rivalries, obviously you've got the big one against Louisiana Monroe, the battle on the bayou. 
that's obviously an interstate rivalry and then you've got three inactive rivalries with some very peculiar trophies so they have a rivalry against Lamar that they play for the Sabine Shoe McNeese State they play for the Cajun Crown and Southeastern Louisiana they play for the Cypress Mug so some interesting rivalries there with some interesting prizes for winning them the coach Michael DeSormu second season so as we said the biggest coaching loss last year in the Sunbelt came when Billy Napier packed his bags went to the SEC with Florida DeSormu was his replacement he had played for the team whilst he was in college and he'd actually been on the coaching staff there since 2016 he was wide receiver coach tight end coach interim head coach assistant head coach worked his way through the ranks he he won the bowl game at the end of last season after Napier left so he got the one game he won it um, first full season was one that was just riddled with inconsistency but I mean it's to be expected they won their opening two games then they lost three in a row then they won two in a row then they lost two in a row again and then the end of the season win lose win lose um, so it, it, it was a it was a season of inconsistency on an encouraging note for them four of their defeats were just one score games so they were not as bad as the record may suggest there were a lot of close games which they were just on the wrong side of they they lost a ton of talent loads it can't be understated how much talent they lost when Napier left so many players went with him some went to the NFL so the transition year is understandable but as I just mentioned to Ryan a minute ago the Sunbelt arms race is well and truly in progress and, and they're going to want to start heading back in the winning direction uh, to keep up with everyone this this was the first losing season since 2017 and and the schedule gods have been a little kind to them this year but I think we expected this didn't we Ryan Desormu first year Billy Napier's done a whole heap of good with that program. The mass exodus of players when he got there. I think even to get to a bowl game was was a decent enough first year, so long as they pick it back up this year now that things are starting to calm down. Yeah, Napier was like the hand soul of the team. They also had a long-term quarterback while he was there in Levi Lewis. Yeah. I think it was called. Yeah. He was really, really good. And... Billy did him dirty as well, like you say, because the moment he left, he was like, well, he's kind of like that husband that divorces the wife and tries to take the CDs they bought together. He tries to take all their belongings, like the band they fell in love with. Like He just tried to take everything that wasn't nailed down. And I don't like that. Like, yeah. say, he wanted assistant coaches, he wanted their best players, and he, he got some good guys to go with him. And that, that hurts. And, yeah, it... As far as first years go, after such a, a mini dynasty almost, he created such a good culture there, like you say, no losing records, always in Sunbelt Convention. They did pretty well. Yeah, their, their record was respectable. I expected them to struggle with such a big shock to the system because they were so comfortable. But yeah, this year, they've got to get back straight away. They've got to prove it was just an adjustment year, as if it was, and they need to get straight back into the winning record season to prove that they made the right hire and to prove that the team wasn't only relevant because Billy made them. Because that that's the worst thing. You don't want to be that team where, oh yeah, you were only relevant because of Billy Napier. He's gone. That chapter's closed. And I say put it on the shelf. Don't leave it. Dust off the new one. And yeah, they've got to get going again. So. It's going to be a big year for them 
I feel like it's going to be important for them to not lose to any more ground. Exactly, and with Troy in there, with South Alabama in there, you don't want to see a power void emerge. You don't want to see a power gap emerge between them and sort of be sucked into the the irrelevancy of the mid tier teams. So you do have to make a statement. So the results last year, uh, they won at home to Southeastern Louisiana, Eastern Michigan, Arkansas State, and Georgia Southern. They also won on the road against Marshall, which is a good win, and then at Texas State as well. The losses, they came, a lot of them on the road at Rice, at Louisiana Monroe, they lost a rivalry game, Southern Miss and Florida State, and then they lost at home to South Alabama, Troy and Houston in the bowl game. In fact, that'll be a neutral ground, but they still lost their bowl game. The stats from the year, total offense, they were 90th, 364.5 yards per game. Total defense, they were 50th, very respectable, 361.7 yards per game they gave up. The scoring offense was 78th, so better than the total would indicate. They scored 26.2 points per game. Scoring defense, 37th in the nation. Only gave up 22.8 points per game, so again, pretty decent. The rushing offense was 76th. The rushing defense was 51st. Passing offense was 79th. Passing defense was 56th. In sacks, they were 59th. They had 29 on the year. Tackles for loss, they were 96th. Only had 66, so D-line needs to get better. Sacks allowed, they were 51st. Tackles for loss allowed, they were 40th. So the offensive line, pretty decent in that regards. Turnover margin overall, they were 43rd. They gained 23 touchdowns. They lost uh, 23 turnovers. They lost the ball 19 times. So, I mean, it's... Most of it, for the most part, is average, around the middle. Nothing too concerning, sliding too far, and it's just a case of, you know, start just upping them again, and you're a very good Sunbelt outfit, you know, sooner rather than later. Yeah, on paper, numbers are pretty healthy. I'd say decent O-line. Defence probably carries them a little bit more on their offence. I'd say they don't concede many points, and they're... They're at the point, the yardage they concede and the yardage they get were almost identical. So they're practically breaking even on both sides of the ball. So just a few tweaks if they can match their output from last year. Like, yeah, they'll be fine. But it's got to turn into wins. I'd say that defense on paper sounded really good. But when it came down to it late in like fourth quarters, they let themselves down. Yeah, absolutely. It's 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 fine margins, very fine margins. Same with a lot of teams. You know, those one score games are are critical. So you've got to start winning those. But yeah, not the worst season for them, given the raft of changes last year. In terms of this upcoming season, the quarterback situation it is undecided. As Ryan said, Levi Lewis's departure in twenty twenty one, the job was up for grabs last year. So. His understudy Chandler Fields played the first few games, but then Fresno State transfer Ben Waldridge took over um, until pretty late in the season when he got a leg injury. So Chandler Fields came back into the starting position for the last few games. They're both fighting to get that starting gig again. They've both stayed. And I mean, it's two good sets of stats here, really. Fields had 58.2% completion. He threw for 1,123 yards, had 11 touchdowns, just four picks. He had two scores on the ground. Waldridge, 56.6%, 1,661 yards, 15 touchdowns, and, and five interceptions. So it's um, that's a healthy quarterback battle. You've got two guys who are in. They know the system. The circumstances last year meant they had to rotate them around a bit. But, 
you know, it's it, it's good to have a healthy. It's, this is not like a battle of scrubs. It's a battle of two decent guys who be able to run your offense this year, whoever you settle on. Yeah, it's it's you could be in a lot worse scenarios. Like the team, it's kind of one of those like say they may think about like say trying to use them both. You like you should never do that. Once you pick a starter, just 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 ride with him. Like saying only change if you have to. Don't like try pull them out on players because they both did pretty well last year. So whoever wins the job, they've got a fairly capable understudy. The numbers fairly similar, like say nearly three to one touchdown interception ratios for both guys. One of them played sounds like a lot more playing time than the other. So yeah. maybe he's got a bit of the uh, the front foot. But yeah, it'd be interesting to see the sample size if one of them does play a full twelve thirteen games. Just just what could they do? Yeah, exactly. He's, so it's still a battle at the minute, and we will see. But they'll be in a good pair of hands, whoever wins that, I think. The preview in general, this is this is all about establishing their identity this year. So obviously Napier, Louisiana were feared on the ground. They had such a good rushing attack, but they also paired it with a really good passing attack as well. Are they going to try and go back to that? Or with a second-year QB, are they going to look to try and go more aerial that is the decision that disomu has got to make um first they've got to decide who's throwing the ball offensive line is a work in progress going into last season his first they'd lost four of their five starters but given that they showed up pretty well last year they were good in the passing game they limited the sacks the tackles for loss they just need to take a step forward in the run game this year the interior's pretty set especially at guard aj gilly is the is the really good one in there but the the depth after is untested so they're going to want to make sure that offensive line stays healthy a few injuries and they might be uh, in a bit of bother they're leading rusher from last year chris smith went to the draft but in terence williams they had a back who had 100 carries last year he'll be looking to step up into that running back one spot the big question comes at receiver star wide receiver michael jefferson also went to the nfl um, they got a good pass catching tight end in Neil Johnson. He was second in receiving yards last year, but he only had 300. After that, there are no receivers who have had any real volume work with the program, so they're going to need a wide receiver one to emerge this year who can you know, handle that heavy workload because they just don't have one currently. Defensively, very solid across the board last year, but like most G5 teams, they are filling holes after the portal's done its job on them. The D-line needs to up its production in regards to tackles for loss and sacks. They're going to have to live without Zion Hill-Green. He had seven sacks, 14 and a half tackles for loss and a forced fumble last season. He ran, um, sorry, he retired from football. He tore his meniscus for the fifth time, which I can just only imagine how painful that is. But he's done, which is a big shame. Sonny Hazard's going to look to fill that gap. He had a five-sack season from the interior. Very promising there. Casey Osai, he's one of the conference's better linebackers. He returns to lead a group that is talented, but not uber experienced. But they should be fine at the linebacker position. Secondary is where the hardest hits have come. They were one of the conference's best units last year. But as I say, where there's an abundance of talent, there's vultures who are circling to take it. They lost their two biggest playmakers to the polls. So the cornerback, Trey Amos, he got snapped up by Nick Saban and Alabama. The safety Cam Pedesclu, he's gone to ride the green wave at Tulane. 
Um, four interception safety Braylon Trahan is in the NFL with the Chicago Bears now. And cornerback Eric Garraw, he had two picks, six passes defended. He's with the Tennessee Titans. So in other words, there's going to be a lot of new faces in the team this season as um, as regular starters, and the depth is very much untested. So it's hard to predict how it's going to pan out, but they could do with finding the next guys on defense quickly. It's, um, I mean, DeSormo's an offensive head coach anyhow, so I kind of feel like the offense is going to bounce forward this year, but the defense, that's a lot of losses, so they may take a step back this year. Yeah. The two areas of focus, like say the wide receivers, there's no chemistry between them and the quarterbacks because it's saying none of them saw any real playing time. So that's going to be something that's going to have to establish and quickly. That's that's not something that can really afford to be slow. And then teams are going to look at them and know they've got a brand new secondary and they're going to throw the ball a lot. They're going to test the defensive back unit. And if they're not up to scratch or not a patch on last season, then yeah we will see some regression in secondary. So I feel like both sides of the ball there is probably where they need to make the biggest jump this season. Yeah, yeah, I agree. That, that, that's going to be the two bits. If they can sort a receiver out and Shrew can get going, then they'll be all right there. And if they can just find enough on the secondary to keep the passing yards at bay, then again, they should be all right. And like I said, the schedule, it, it's tough if they want to win the whole conference, but... You know, in terms of getting a good number of wins this year, they're there. So they don't play week zero. They start at home to Northwestern State, FCS opposition. Then you've got road trips to Old Dominion and UAB, which is not too bad. Then you're at home to Buffalo from the MAC. Then you are away at Minnesota from the Big Ten, so that's going to be tough. But then you've got Texas State and Georgia State at home. Then you're away at South Alabama and Arkansas State. You're at home to Southern Miss, away to Troy and at home to Louisiana Monroe. I mean, you've got to travel to the West's two best teams. You're on the road to Troy and South Alabama. But outside of that, you've got a lot of the low-hanging fruit at home. And you've got a decent enough away schedule there. You should be going bowling again. And you can do better than six wins this year with that schedule if things go right. Yeah, because when you read out their losses last year, a lot of them were on the road. Mm. So, yeah, they need to make the most to maximise all those opportunities at home. And then if they can pick up an upset at South Alabama or even Troy on the road, then they, they'll probably be in contention potentially. But, yeah, the minimum is a ball that has to be the bare minimum this year. And then hopefully they can do better. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, positive steps may be there for them this year. The player to watch out for... Uh, the DT Sonny Hazard, he is six foot one, three hundred and three pounds. The Cajuns D line needs a breakout player this year. He's a fourth year DT for them. He may just well be that guy. He's slowly been working his way into rotation. Took a career high three hundred snaps last year, and with Hill Green gone, he's now the next man up. Like I said, he had five sacks from the interior last year. Only Troy really gave him trouble in the run game, and and they won the entire conference. But outside of that, really good run blocker. Like I said, starting to up his sack count as well. He's got all the tools to be a dual threat interior disruptor. And they're going to need him to form the backbone of this year's defense. I can see him doing that. So Sonny Hazard is the guy to watch on that Louisiana team. Right, let's move it on to their nearest and dearest rivals. The University of Louisiana Monroe Warhawks. We also know them as ULM. 1931, they were established. They play at JPS Field. 
2021 record, they were four and eight. They went two and six in the Sun Belt last year. Four and eight, but they went three and five in the Sun Belt. So same record, but made a little bit of progress in conference. The rivalries with Louisiana, I've already mentioned that, and then Louisiana Tech and Northwestern State as well. But those rivalries are both dormant. Um, the coach here, Terry Bowden, his third year, he's 67 years old. He's been coaching longer than me and Ryan have been alive. He took his first head coach job in 1983. Been head coach at Salem, Samford, Oban. He won two SEC West titles in the 1990s. Nearly took them to an SEC championship, but he was denied by Peyton Manning and Tennessee all those years ago. He had 11 years out of the game after that job, but since 2009, he's had three good years at North Alabama. He went 35-52 and 52 in seven seasons at Akron, so he's been in the Mac a while, but he did win Akron and Mac West title, and they would kill for one of those right now. And then he landed at ULM in 2020. He took over a rancid team, which had just gone 0-10, and you know he's had huge talent shortages to work with on that roster. He had massive turnover after year one as well but he's managed to churn out successive four win seasons it may not sound like a lot but this is a serious rebuild and he had a brutal schedule last year the two of their first three games were away at texas and alabama so i mean it's respectable uh trouble is the portal has rinsed them again of their best players this year and the sun belt is just getting stronger and somewhere along the way you've got to make the leap into bowl contention and then become contenders in the division. Can he do that this year whilst he's consistently having to replace all his best players? This is a very well-traveled coach, very respectable coach who's won with some bad teams. And this, you know, he's hanging in there, let's say, after two years. He's, he got a rotten team he took over. He loses his best players year on year, but he's churning out wins. He just needs to start upping it a little bit as well now. Yeah, it's a team that when he came in, had no expectations. Now they've currently got well limited expectations because they don't exactly have much disposal at their hands right now. Like they're not someone that can pick up big players. Like some of the Sun Belt programs are able to go into the portal and get the bigger names. ULM, I'm just never going to get them. Not when they're competing with like the likes of the Raging Cajuns. It's going to be hard. So, but at what point do you say this? like four or five wins is is just isn't good enough anymore that's kind of got to be the point now otherwise then you can't just set up a mediocrity constantly especially at his age as well being nearly 70 he's not going to coach much longer so if he wants to take him to a bowl game it's gonna it's now or never it's do or die for him or step aside and let a younger head coach try to take the reins yeah it's i think this is a big year for him you do you do want to try and start progressing you can't go but you've had these are two perfectly acceptable years he's had so far in terms of where the program was, but you need to start making progress. The 2022 season, the wins. So I've got three home wins against Nichols, Louisiana and Texas State. Then they won on the road to Georgia State. The losses, I mean, a lot of road games last year. They lost on the road to Texas, Alabama, South Alabama, Troy, Army. And then the home games they lost were to Coastal Cal, and Southern Miss, so there's not many games you look at there and go, 
they could have won those. It was it was a rotten schedule, and the the stats kind of put this into perspective. I mean, how he won four games with these, I don't know. But total offense, they were one hundred and twelfth, three hundred and twenty six yards per game. Total defense, they were one hundred and tenth. They gave up four hundred and thirty yards per game on average. Scoring offense was one hundred and third, just twenty two point three points per game. Scoring defense was one hundred and twenty second. They gave up 34.4 points a game. The rushing offense was 104th. The rushing defense was 115th. The passing offense was 101st. The passing defense was 78th. You know, 230 yards a game, 17 touchdowns they gave up. Uh, the passing offense they threw for 205 yards per game, so not much differentiation there. Team sacks, they were 102nd. Only got 20 on the year. But they were 68th in tackles for loss. They had 68. Sacks allowed, they were 103rd. Tackles for loss allowed, they were 90th. Turnover margin, they were 116th. So they only gained 8 turnovers last year, which was the lowest in the entire nation. And they lost the ball 15 times. And once that, that did jump out, they lost first quarters by a combined 152 points to 37. So a team that just got beaten out the gates and then was sort of a lot of times put away in the first quarter and could just not get back into it I mean kind of a minor miracle you win four games when most of your key stats are riddled down there in the hundreds he's doing something yeah those those stats are pretty alarming so to win anything is pretty amazing because they're clearly they start terribly they're just a really team that starts really badly and then some games just happen to finish the stronger. But yeah, eight they only got eight turnovers in what a whole season. That that bad. Right, so they're not taking capitalizing opportunities. So they're leaving a lot of players on the field. So that's that's the first thing that they need to fix. When some when you don't look a gift horse in the mouth, so when someone offers them a cheap throw or a fumble They've got to capitalise on those. So, yeah, if they can get wins despite all those pretty bad stats, they've clearly got something going for them. Yeah. They now just need to work a little bit better on the things that they can change and work on. Yeah, it's it's just so tough. I'd say you can get you can get the wins there, but you know, overall, there's there's got to be improvement all throughout the team here, and it does just does not get any easier. So, look into twenty twenty three. The quarterback is Jaya Wright. He is 6'1 and 202 pounds. So their former starter from last year, Chandler Rogers, he transferred to North Texas. He actually had a decent year. He threw for 2,500 yards, 15 touchdowns, 7 interceptions, and he was the team's second lead in Russia. So his loss hurts both in the passing game and the rushing game. Wright is a former Juco transfer. He's entering his third season with the Warhawks, but he's played next to no football with them, just 150 passing yards, but he's the only quarterback on the roster who has any experience, and he's expected to be the starter. He does know the system, so it will give him a fighting chance this year. Um, the preview in general, this this was a bad offseason for them on paper. So like I said, the starting quarterback is gone, been replaced by a relative rookie, the starting left tackle, Victor Cutler, he's transferred to Ohio State. Two-year starting left guard, Peyton Dunn, has transferred to Houston. 
The starting right tackle, Keydrill Lewis, he did hit the portal, but he has ended up coming back. But his pass protection was graded sub-40 last year, which is is really bad <laughs> considering he's now one of the senior guys on that line. So the line's going to be getting a rebuild. The running back room is getting a rebuild. They're leading Russia from last year, Malik Jackson. We talked about him in the CUSA show. He's now at Jacksonville State. He's probably going to do really well there. Um, Rogers, who was the second lead in Russia, has gone to North Texas. The third lead in Russia, Andrew Henry, transferred to New Mexico. The two running backs remaining on the roster had a combined 17 yards on the ground last season. That's that's one seven yards on the ground last year. Lead receiver Tyrone Howell is back. He had an 852-yard receiving season, so there's some good depth in the room to help out the new QB receiver. They're not nowhere near as bad as the running back room is there. Defense has been hit by hard by the portal on the defensive line alone. They've lost Quincy Ledette, their defensive tackle to Texas Tech. They've lost the edge rusher Anthony Campbell to the Miami Hurricanes. Uh, but they do have some talent to work around again. Kennard Snyder, he is probably one of the best players on this team at DN there. They got Donnell Harris, another edge out of the draft, uh, out of the portal, sorry, from Texas A&M. He was a big commit for them a couple of years ago. He's not worked, but... He's transferred out looking for a starting job and still a big get for this team. And they got a second one, um, Travel Johnson. They got him from the Texas Longhorns, another, I think he was a high three-star, maybe a low four-star rated Comet. He's been looking for a starting opportunity. He's not got one, so he's come down to this team. He's a linebacker-safety hybrid. So at linebacker, they're looking pretty good. Tristan Driggers, he's there. He's got five sacks from last year. He also hybrids as a safety. So this ULM defense... A lot of hybrid guys, they switch the looks up on there. So these guys, some of them are really positionally versatile. The secondary, though, is very promising. They managed to get the starting corner, Andrew Volmar, from Florida International. Uh, he had a really good season last year, especially in coverage. It's a big pickup for them. They've got the blitzing corner, Lou Tillery. He had four sacks last season. You've got Deuce Mabry, who led the team in passes defended. I think he had about nine. You've got Carlin Vigors as well. He's the hybrid who plays all along the secondary. So the the secondary is a big, big bonus for this team. But they've taken hits on the trenches on both sides. And to be honest, if you want to see that line get better this year, you've got to rebuild them both into much better units if you want to make tangible progress forward this year, right? Yeah, let's say the quarterback is not a lot to work with. Let's say the line and the running back room decimated. You're bringing in uh, two guys that have basically never seen the ball. So the trenches and the ground game are going to be what will hold the team back. They're going to have to make. They're going to have to turn water into wine. They've got not to work with, but they're going to need a bit of a miracle if someone emerges. Because the receiver and the defense and the, the secondary, they're not going to be able to do it on their own. So they have to they have to get to the quarterback, and they're going to have to be able to just just chip away and get a few yards on the ground to help the quarterback. Yeah, exactly. And and they're going to need to start fast this year because the schedule doesn't set up well for them at the end. There's going to be no bedding in period and looking for wins later on. They don't play week zero. You've got a two-game home stand against Army and Lamar to start. So they are both winnable if you come and bring your A game. Then you're away at Texas A&M in your money game. 
Then you're at home to App State and South Alabama, who are both going to be going for the title. Then you're away at Texas State and Georgia Southern. You're at home to Arkansas State, but then the end of the season, um, you're on the road to Southern Miss, Old Miss from the SEC, and Louisiana, and your one home game is against Troy. Um, that that end of season's brutal. You've got to get your wins in early here because the second half of the season, sort of minus in Arkansas State, you can beat them at home. Uh, there's not going to be many wins to be found there, so got to hit, got to get out the gates early. You got to hope this all comes together really quickly. Yeah, if they don't start quickly, they could go winless. Like the, the the last four or five games, they're going to go winless. I imagine that I can't see them really winning anything from like Southern Miss onwards. So they've got to get in while they can at the start. Mm-hmm. If if they start poorly, well. It's going to be a rough all year for them, unfortunately. Yeah, so even even Lamar, it's another FCS, but they're they're decent FCS, so you can't come up and assume a win there. So it's going to be tough. I can see three or four wins in there again, but you're trying to look to see if they can get to a bowl game, and it's going to require some big upsets, especially on the road, because you've got one, two, three, four, five, six. You've got you've got a few away games on the schedule this year. Uh, finishing them off, the player to watch, the wide receiver Tyrone Howell. He's 6'2", 202 pounds, very physical, bruising, outside wide receiver. Came off his 850-yard season last year. He had two 150-plus yard games. One of them was a 240-yard game, I believe it was. Um, so he had a great year. Great hands, made some top-notch catches last season. There was a one-handed grab, I think. Think it was against. It might have been against Marshall. I could be wrong, but it was. It was one of the best catches I saw all of last season. This guy, especially, he made the Warhawks' offense relevant last year, and he's going to need to go up another level this year with a rookie QB throwing at him. He's going to need to show up big time. A lot back. of big plays. Sorry. Brave decision to come back. Why did I know. I know. I know. A lot of these. A lot of these big ones do. You think Tyrese Chambers, Florida International last year. You break out one year big at these, and then you leave. But fair play to him for staying. So Tyrone Howell is the guy to watch on that ULM team. Right. We've talked about some teams in flux and some bad teams. So let's move on to some more positive teams heading in a good direction under some good head coaches. So we move on. To the South Alabama Jaguars, established 2009, still a relatively new team. They play at the Hancock Whitney Stadium. The 2021 record read 5 and 7. They were 2 and 6 in the Sun Belt. The 2022 record 10 and 3, and they went 7 and 1 in the Sun Belt. They doubled their win total, and they only lost to Troy in the Sunbelt last year in one of the most dour games of the season, but we'll get onto that later. The rivalry is with Troy. It's called the Battle for the Belt. It's what it says on the tin. They, uh, it's a professional wrestling belt is the trophy for this, um, and they fight over that year on year. Troy leads the series 8-3. to three. Currently, the coach. Love this head coach they've got there. Kane Womack. It's his third season and he's just 36 years of age, one of the younger head coaches around. And he is a very successful defensively-minded coach. He learned under his dad, who was defensive coordinator at Old Miss under Hugh Freeze, that great team they had there. 
Um, he got his first DC job at Eastern Illinois in the FCS. Within two years, his defense was ranked top 10 nationally in pretty much every category. Took the same job at South Alabama, so that's defensive coordinator. During his two seasons there, South Alabama was the 13th most improved scoring defense, rushing defense in the nation. He engineered one of the top turnarounds in the country. The unit was the fifth most improved nationally in scoring defense. He took 10 points per game on average off what they would concede in the year before. And they ranked in the top 10 nationally in passing defense. He went to Indiana to be linebackers coach and then DC. And then he returned to Mobile to take on the job here. And to no one's surprise, their defense got good very quickly. In his first year, they finished 40th nationally in total defense. And then in the second year, it's gone up to 25th. Year two, big success for them. Like I said, they doubled the win total. Double figures, 10 wins. They've never won more than six games in a season. So that just shows what kind of a season it was. The previous record was six. He now owns it at 10. Only defeat was against the Sunbelt champions, Troy. And I don't know if you remember this, right, but they very nearly shot UCLA right at the beginning of last season. They lost 32-31. And they gave up nine unanswered points in the fourth quarter when they were winning. And they tried that stupid fake field goal thing to try and win it. And it was one of the worst plays I saw all season. But outside of that, Kane Womack's done a fantastic job with, like I say, a relatively new franchise who'd never won more than six games before. And in two years, he set the tone year one. In year two, he really stuck his identity on there and... Defense is bread and butter, and that's powered them into a really good position, and they're going to be challenging for the Sun Belt this year. Yeah, last year, by far the best year since they were, they were founded, and they've had some good players come through the doors. Like I said, they sent Jalen Tolbert to the Cowboys, really talented receiver. We have other guys that have gone on to be pro. They've got a young head coach. I imagine very highly coveted with another good year. Uh, I think they're going to lose him fairly quickly. I feel like hanging on to him is going to be pretty difficult, especially if he has another good defence this year. Last year, yep, went toe-to-toe of everyone. Almost pulled off one of the biggest upsets in the nation. Almost had relatively perfect season, apart from a game. So the bar for them is ridiculously high. Was it Was it a fluke? Was, was it a real indication of where they are or is it just like that one year where everything goes right for them that's kind of what I want to see this year yeah well it's going to be a test now because people are aware of them and they say the two defeats they had last year before the bowl game when they got blown out one point to UCLA at the Rose Bowl which they just lost by and then they say they lost to Troy and they lost by four points so Six points and they have an unbeaten season going into the bowl game and they're probably Sunbelt champions. That's how close they were really to breaking through. But I've got faith in this guy. His defense is getting better and better and we're going to wait to see what he does this year. But last year, the record, so they won against Nichols at home. They won against Central Michigan on the road. Louisiana Tech at home. Louisiana away. Arkansas State away. Georgia Southern away at home to Louisiana Monroe, at home to Texas State, away at Southern Miss, at home to Old Dominion. As I say, the losses away at UCLA, at home to Troy, and then Western Kentucky in the bowl game. There's there's no shame in any of those defeats whatsoever. Stats on the year, 
Total offence, 38th, 423.7 yards per game. The total defence was 25th. They only gave up 331 yards per game, so nearly 100 yards more offence per game than what they gave up. Scoring offence was 47th, 31 points. Scoring defence was 26th, 21 points. So they got 10 points more a game out of their offence than the defence gave up. The rushing offence was 63rd, so 156.8 yards per game. They scored 19 touchdowns. They went at 4 yards per carry. The rushing defence, 4th in the entire nation in the FBS. They gave up just 92.9 yards per game. Just 8 rushing touchdowns on the season. And they kept teams to 3.28 yards per carry. The run defence was elite. Passing offence, 33rd. 267 yards a game. They had 28 touchdowns through the air. The passing defense was 88th. 240 yards a game. 22 touchdowns given up. But when your rushing defense is fourth in the nation, that's still that's still fine. Um, in sacks, they were 64th. In tackles for loss, they were 48th. So pretty good. In sacks allowed, they were 56th. And tackles for loss allowed, they were 36th. So offensive line did its job. Turnover margin, they were 40 seconds. They had 20 takeaways, 16 losses in terms of turning the ball over. I mean, that's very balanced, right? A top 25 off defense, a top 40 offense. You say, is this a fluke? But both sides of the ball are rolling, and it's built off his run defense. Run defense, you know, stagnates so many teams that they just can't beat you there. It's, it's a formidable team he's putting together. Yeah, very complimentary football. Stout front seven. That's kind of what the elite go through. A lot of leaders on the defensive line. They were a good high-powered offense, especially for yardage. Like I say, top top 35. So things that you need to be good for in modern football is being able to throw the ball, being able to stop the run. And average in sacks. So across the board on paper, probably... Maybe the best team on paper last season, and we're unlucky to not see themselves make a championship. So I feel like, yeah, that they're really well positioned, especially going into twenty twenty three. Yes, exactly. And looking at twenty twenty three, they've also got another big advantage over a lot of the teams around them. They've got a stable quarterback situation. So the quarterback next year is going to be Carter Bradley. He's six three, two hundred and sixteen pounds. He's the former. Toledo transfer and he's the son of Colts DC Gus Bradley he won the job last year he had a hell of a season so in leading the Jags to a 10-3 and record and their first bowl berth in six years he completed 276 of 427 passes for 3,343 yards and 28 touchdowns all of them are program single season records he also set numerous South Alabama individual game records, had 36 completions on 53 attempts in the New Orleans Bowl against Western Kentucky, threw for 420 yards against Louisiana Monroe, and he tied the school record with four touchdown passes in a game that was against Texas State. In all, he had 3,335 yards, 28 touchdowns, 12 picks it's a remarkable turnaround for a guy who lost his starting job to a believe a freshman at Toledo but now South Alabama they've got one of the most stable quarterback pitchers going into the season and, and that kind of just makes everything so much easier for a team when you're not 
trying to decide who your quarterback is. He's, he's had a really good year considering how his Toledo career ended. Yeah. If a team doesn't have to have a quarterback battle, they're usually going to be one of the better teams in the division. If you know who your starter is before last season even ends, then that always helps. A coach and a quarterback kind of are arm in arm when it comes to tandem. And yeah, he was one of the better, if not one of the best quarterbacks last year in the Sun Belt. So the only the only place is up. Like I say, we, we know what he can do. We know what we expect him to do to command a good offence through the air, powerful offence passing the ball. And you'd expect him with his leadership now coming off a big year that he can he can lead them. And the expectations this year should be should be big. They shouldn't be settling for anything less than making the title game. That's that's got to be the goal. It's and I think yeah. Off his showing last year, if he can up the turnover, up the touchdowns, lower the turnovers a little bit, they will get there. They they, they will definitely get there if he can do that again. Exactly. Um, so looking at the preview in general, so like I said, in the newer scheme of things, they are still a new FBS team. This is the first season. They've registered more than six wins, but that season was last year. Their team was great. And the bad news for all their rivals in the Sunbelt West is that the vast majority of this team is coming back and they are going to want to go one better this year. You bet your bottom dollar Kane Womack has his sights on the Sunbelt Championship this season. The only problem they've got to figure out is the Troy Trojans and how they can beat them in that defence. Like I said, on offence, set a quarterback. On the offensive line, you are returning four starters. The only loss was their all Sunbelt centre, James Jackson, but it was because his eligibility was up. All the players they've lost, it's due to eligibility or draft. It's not due to them being lured away by the portal, but they've got a big depth chart there at offensive line. They are full of experience. They will reload. I believe the left guard is shifting across the centre. They've got a new guy who's coming in at left, but it's highly experienced. The pass pro could just do with bringing the sack total down a little bit, but overall, this is a very solid unit in both phases. They've got a star all-sum belt running back in LaDamian Webb. He had a 1,000-yard rushing season and 15 touchdowns. And they've bought, they're bringing back running back two and three from last season who contribute well in the rotation. The two defeats last year outside the ball game were the only games they failed to rush 100 yards. So it just shows you if they rush the ball on you, they're going to win. So they're not going to have much problem getting over that this year because they've got all three of their main guys back. They had three 800-plus yard receivers last season. They're bringing two of those back in Devin Volson and Colin Lacey. The only guy they lost was Jalen Wayne, but again, he ran out of eligibility. He didn't transfer. He just ran out of eligibility. Womack's defences are always stacked with talents. No different this year. The defensive line is nasty. In his first two seasons, the run defense ranked 13th in year one and 4th in year two. Could benefit from getting a little bit more pressure on the QB, but stuffing the run is what really helps there. In Wykevius Thomas, you've got the team's anchor at nose tackle. And then alongside him, you've got Brock Higdon and Jamie Sharif. They lead the team in sacks from an interior that just causes so much chaos. These are guys who collapse from the inside rather than out. And if a stud pass rusher should emerge on this team, 
Very few teams in this division are going to be able to deal with them. James Miller and Trey Kaiser, they form one of the conference's best linebacker duos. And then in the secondary, even with the loss of Daryl Luter Jr. to the draft, the secondary is loaded. You've got the hybrid D-back Yamaris Banks. He's coming off a six-pick season with 11 passes defended. Double-digit pressures as a blitzer. He's one of the Sunbelt's best players, period. You've got Jaden Voisin at cornerback. He led the team in tackles, had two picks of his own. Very experienced, a lot of depth there. They do need to cut some of the big plays down that come against them in the defense, but that's kind of intact with that the edge room needs to get a bit more pressure to unsettle QBs early. So you're hoping if the edge room can get a little bit more pressure, the secondary gets a little bit more of a hand. But I mean... All in all, right, this is one of the most complete teams in the Sun Belt this year. And, and it's a sign of a healthy program when you're not losing players to the pool. That, like I said, the main guys they've lost, it's to the draft or to eligibility issues. And that's a sign of a healthy program. And they're in good stead this year. Yeah, they've, they've retained all their best players. And they've only lost the guys that they couldn't keep hold of. They're, they're definitely in win-now mode. And they've got to win while these guys are here. Because it only takes a year or two before these players move on to GoPro or Greener Pastures. You've got to do it now while they're there. And yeah, the core and nucleus of a team that can win the Sun Belt and should win the Sun Belt right now isn't there. So there, there really are no excuses. No, absolutely none at all. And looking at the schedule, I mean, it's tough. But if you want to win, you've got to go through some tough teams in the Sun Belt right now. So they don't play week zero. They start away at Tulane, and then they're at home to Southeastern Louisiana. Then they're away to Oklahoma State, the Big 12 team. Then they're at home to Central Michigan to round out their non-con. Then the conference starts. They're away at James Madison, away at Louisiana Monroe. Then you're at home to Southern Miss and Louisiana. You're away at Troy. You're home to Arkansas and Marshall, then you're away to Texas State. I mean, you know, you can take the non-con out of it. That's tough. There's winnable games there. But when it comes to the Sun Belt fixtures, you've got to win your road games. You're you're away at James Madison and you're away at Troy. But outside of that, you should be running the rest of those fixtures. So they feel like the two where that championship, that backbone is really going to be contested. Because James Madison and Troy are going to come at you with everything they've got. Yeah. If they'll be the games where you win or lose. They'll be the games where the chance of making the title game will be on the line. Like I say, if you lose both and you win every other game of the season, I still don't think you'd make it because of your, your conference record. And there's some taste ties like two lane up first. That That's going to be a really interesting game with two teams that are really right now in good form hmm. two surprising teams last year both so that that's a really difficult schedule Tulane or Oklahoma State it's going to really test that out of credentials in and out of conference if they if they get 10 wins from that schedule I'll be really impressed hmm. like I say that there's some, there's some tough games there especially at home to start the season so it's going to be a good test of their credentials yeah, I don't see the double-digit win total again, but that doesn't matter because 
you've just got to win seven, eight games in the conference. That's all you've got to win. You don't need double digits. You could lose every non-con game and still get up to get up to where you need to. But like I said, you go to UCLA and nearly knock them off last year, then you sure as hell can go to Tulane and give them a game. Oklahoma State might be a bit too much, but I've not really looked at them this season. So they could scalp one of those teams. And you've got two winnable games on the non-con. So win them dominantly at home. Go into that first road trip. I mean, first two games in the conference are road trips. You win both of those, then you're set. You're laughing. You're going to Troy. And that's your championship game. But we will see with them. The player to watch on this team mentioned him briefly. So the safety Yamaras Banks. He is 6'1", 208 pounds. Heading into his fourth year with the Jags and his third as a starter. And he's still got two years left before he's draft eligible. So there is so much room for an already talented DB to grow further. He's the team's Husky, which is their name for their nickel safety position in their 4-2-5 defense. Due to his size and strength, which allow him to thrive as a safety, but he's also got really great man coverage skills, which make him well for corner as well. So he plays that hybrid role. He's the only player on this team to start every single game under Kane Womack. And if he improves further this season, statistically, he could be one of the best DBs in the nation this year. And it is a name you will be hearing a lot. Because if he has another good year, he may get a big transfer to a Power 5 team. So Yamaras Banks, the safety there at um, South Alabama. Keep an eye out for him. Right, we are down to our last couple of teams. And we're going to start off with a very... Very interesting one this year. The Southern Miss Golden Eagles, established 1912. They play at the M.M. Roberts Stadium. 2021, the record was 3-9. and nine. They were 2-6, and six, but that was in the CUSA. They are one of the transfers across. Last year was the first year in the Sun Belt. They went 7-6. and six. They were 4-4 four and four in conference, and they got themselves to a ball game. They were third in the Sun Belt West last year. In year one, that is entirely respectable. Uh, the rivalries against Louisiana Tech, Memphis, which is the black and blue bowl, referring to the colours that represent both teams. And then they got a rivalry against Tulane, which is called the Battle for the Bell. And the trophy they fight over for is literally a bell. So, intriguing there. The coach, another one who I sort of low-key do quite like in this conference. So, you've got Will Hall. He is in his third season. He's 43 He's an offensively-minded coach, so he moved around a lot as a quarterback coach till he landed at West Alabama as an OC. And then he get his first break into head coach work there. He was head coach at West Alabama for three years, then three years at West Georgia in the FCS. Had a lot of success in both stints. Moved up into the FBS as a, an offensive coordinator at Louisiana, then Memphis, then Tulane before Southern Miss came calling in 2020 to give him his first FBS head coaching job. Um, you'll remember this one from last year. Right? So year one was rough. He dealt with crippling injuries at quarterback. By week 10, they'd been through three different starters and their running back had become their starting quarterback for the last quarter of the season. So three wins was actually fairly respectable for them. We said things had to get better in year two and, and in fairness, they did. They got four more wins than the first year. Solid .500 showing in a new conference. Finished third in the third to the Sun Belt champions and arguably the second best team in the Sun Belt. And they won a bowl game. But there is no time to rest. They've had their get-right season. Can they now push on to the next step, which is challenging those top two 
in the Sun Belt West in a season where they do face a myriad of problems this year. But again, Rye, another coach who, a younger one, came into a really rotten situation and over two years has shown improvement, which is which is what you want to see as a base. Got up to seven wins. It's an intriguing year for them. Yeah. I say making the move over to the Sun Belt was never going to be easy coming up a difficult year, but they were a surprising package. I think they, they shocked a few teams with how competitive they were. It's hard to usually be competitive in the first time. And they probably put a few teams on notice, made them stand up and they earned a little bit of respect, I think, from some of the other Sun Belt teams in the first year. They, they, they appreciated that it's always good to have good teams join a conference because it raises the overall standard of the Sun Belt and it gives it a little bit more weight, especially compared to others. So whenever someone comes in and instantly wins seven games, that's impressive. That's a good stand. Now they need to see, yeah, is this a team ready to take the next step to jump up to 9-10 wins and actually compete? Or are they going to continue to tread water for a few years? Are they still finding their feet? Which is never easy, but we're going to find that out, yeah. Good head coach. Pretty rapid rise in his third year here, so... Like, I suppose beforehand you kind of label them as a dark horse. That's probably fair to what we are. We think they could be this year. And, yeah. I suppose the only direction really is up from here. Hopefully so. Um, we'll go over the season preview in a minute because I say there are a few issues they're going to come up against. But in terms of 2022, so the wins um, against Northwestern State, they won away at Tulane. They won at Arkansas State at home, away at Texas State, at home to Louisiana, away at Louisiana Monroe, and then they beat Rice in the bowl game. And I mean, the losses... At home to Liberty, who were a top 25 ranked team. Away at the Miami Hurricanes, who were an SEC team. Away at Troy, who won the Sun Belt. Away at Coastal Carolina, who were in the Sun Belt title game. And at home to South Alabama, who were second in their division in conference. And then Georgia State at home was maybe the only questionable one. But again, <laughs> no shame in losing any of those. There's a lot of good teams you've lost against there. Total offense, they were 100th. 349.3 yards per game. Total defense, they were 59th. Gave up 372 yards per game. But then you get to the scoring offense and defense, both much better than the total ranking. So the scoring offense was actually 83rd, 17 spots above where the total was. They had 25.3 points per game. Scoring defense was 45th, 14 spots above where the total D was. They only gave up 23.5 points per game. So scored nearly two points more on average per game than they gave up. The Russian offense was 79th and the Russian defense was 47th, so decent in both aspects of the running game. Passing offense was 97th and the passing defense was 81st. Um, so work to be done there, but they went through five quarterbacks again last season, so still issues in that regards. Here's the surprising thing. In team sacks, they were fifth in the nation with 44. In team tackles for loss... They were third with 108 tackles for loss on the season. But on the flip side, sacks allowed, they were 89th. They gave up 34. And tackles for loss allowed, they were 116th. They gave up 97. Turnover margin, they were 85th. But they got 22 turnovers. It's just they coughed the ball up 25 times. So defense actually right. Really good unit last year. 
sort of spearheaded by a very fierce pass rushing D line, and they sort of fed up off that afterwards. That's what that's what drove the movement last year, and you'd hope that's what keeps up for them again this year. Yeah, quite frustrating, really, to get to be so effective at pass rushing, and then be so useless at nullifying other teams' pass rushes. It really is like a Dr. Jack or Mr. Hyde story. I say they, they know what they're really good at, but yet they weren't able to stop such a leaky offensive line. So, yeah, they, they got some really sneaky stats in there. Like I said they got some big playmakers. They're able to really nullify a team's offense by just giving a quarterback help. But then teams were also doing the same thing to them in return the favour. So they know what their strengths are. They know what they've got to play to. And it's very visible to see what they need to work on. Like I said, they've oh, got yeah. to protect the quarterback this year. If they protect the quarterback this year, then who knows what they're capable of. Because obviously, like I said, they weren't getting much yardage, but they scored okay. They didn't concede too bad. So, yeah, they're, they're definitely much better than they are on the eye. They don't necessarily pass the eye test, but they're a lot more efficient than they are, than they should be. Yeah, exactly. And, and the big problem is, and let's go into the season preview now, you've had nine quarterbacks in the last two seasons. You just can't you can't keep doing that. And one of them was your running back who was throwing passes for you. So you've got to find stability at the quarterback position, which is the main thing for them this year. Who is it going to be? Again, I've no idea. So again, five different guys threw passes for them last year. Although it wasn't like the year before when it was injuries and they were throwing guys in. There were there were reasons behind some of the moves here. The majority starter was actually a true freshman called Zach Wilk. He's likely to be the guy who gets the start this year. He didn't light up the show last year. I think he had nine touchdowns, nine interceptions, about 1,300 yards, something like that. Um but he's not hes not guaranteed. He's been into the transfer portal, so Homan Edwards has come in from Houston. Billy Wiles has come in from Clemson. Hall is casting his net far and wide to try and find a permanent start. But as of now, it looks like last year's true freshman starter, Zach Wilk. You know, year one is rough for true freshmen. Maybe it gets better in year two. Now, whilst the revolving door at quarterback continues to limit the ceiling of this team, there are reasons to be optimistic for Golden Eagles fans. The offense, it runs quite literally through their running back room, and we'll talk about him in a sec. The indomitable Frank Gore Jr., son of the NFL legend. He did you know, he ran for thirteen hundred yards, averaging over six yards per carry, but in total, total scrimmage yards last season, he was above one thousand six hundred yards from scrimmage. He had nine touchdowns he also found time to play quarterback. He threw three touchdown passes to zero picks. He's only five foot eight, but he plays just as hard as his dad does, and he is an incredibly talented player. No other running back gained over 200 yards on the ground, but Hall has gone into the transfer portal and dealt with this. He's brought in Rodriguez Clark from Memphis. He has over a 1,000 yards for them. He's looking to get things going again. He missed 2022 through injury. But he's fully healthy now and he's going to be a great supplemental back to Gore Jr. So their running game is really going to be on point. Um, They're running behind a veteran O-line that can run block. They have to take significant step forward in pass pro. But 
you know, the bread and butter of this team is running the ball and the O-line can do that so it gives them a chance to win. Their leading receiver, Jason Brownlee, he's run out of eligibility, but the next two leading guys, Jacarius Caston and Ty Mims, are back. So you do have a stable core of current receivers for whoever the quarterback is going to be. On defense, the line was an absolute monster last season. As we've said, one of the most elite pass rushing units in the country. It was never going to return all of its productivity and it has lost a fair bit of it, but you have a big core here still to work around. So you've got the defensive tackles, Jalen Williams and Quentin Bivens. You've got the edge, Avery Habas. They form a big part of an already existing framework on that line. It just needs a bit of a retool and the unit is still likely to be one of the best in the Sun Belt this year and it'll set the tone for that defense going forward. The starting linebackers, Santrell Latham and Dalen Gill are gone. They were both hybrid productive, but they've got a big boost in that Hayes Maples is back. If you remember last year's show, he was the guy we told you you should watch out for, the linebacker. But unfortunately, an injury sort of derailed his season and he didn't get to play. But again, he's another who is back. He's fully healthy. He is a do-it-all, can't-miss linebacker. So actually, they've got an upgrade at one of the positions. So it's... It, Limits the blows of losing the two starters. Secondary was largely disappointing given that the D-line did such a great job of making pressure. They will need to show um, a big improvement this year. But there's, again, just enough existing talent with to work around. You've got Jay Stanley at safety. He's coming off his best season. He had five picks, three forced fumbles. He is He's a big hitter who can create interceptions. He's like the, he's like the boys he won. He's like Skinner from last year who I absolutely loved so you've got some guys on the defense you've got your D-line you've got pieces in the other two parts so your, your defense should be good and in Frank Gore Jr. Ryan I mean I don't know why he's still there but he is an absolutely unbelievable player for this level so while he's in that team you can win games so the opportunity is there for them this year if it clicks. Yeah, Frank Gore Jr. was one of the most fun players to watch in the nation last year. He looks a lot like his dad. He's built like his dad. And he's got aspirations of being like a day two draft pick. So, yeah, it's the fact that they managed to keep him, one, is a surprise. He obviously likes the system, what they're doing. And behind him, it kind of makes you have to respect their rush game, their offense. You kind of got to know where he's at all times. Like he's shown versatility and a little bit of trickery. So, yeah. And then they've kept just enough talent on defense. If their secondary does improve, if they're still able to get to the quarterback, then, yeah, this team has got a shock in it, a shock or two in it. They could pull off an upset this year. So, it's kind of like, they're a trap team for the other big teams in the Sun Belt. Not someone you really want to play and someone that could really come in and kind of derail your season. So being a party pooper is always kind of fun. So they can't really lose this year. No. I say But they can actually take huge strides forward as well. Like If Frank has a really good year, I'd expect him to not be here the year after. Whether he declares it or whether he goes in the portal. I think it's his last year. I think he'll be in the draft next year. Yeah, so I think he's going to want to go out with a bang. So 
this 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 could be a really fun year to watch them. I think they're going to be a fun team to watch. They're going to play like they've got nothing to lose because they don't have anything to lose. No, they don't. And I think the lucky thing for them is they're avoiding because they're all about the rushing offense. So you're trying to avoid the good run defenses, and we've seen this three top. 10 run defences in the nation in the Sun Belt, or top 20, James Madison, Marshall and Troy, and they've only got to go up against one of those this year, so you're getting the sort of teams that favour them a bit more, but we'll talk about that um, in a sec. Uh, Brent goes, Gore Jr., I thought he graduated, he's a dog from what I've been hearing, and then says it's his last year of eligibility. Frank Gore Jr. is amazing, like I said, he's 5'8", he's played starting quarterback for them, and he's actually been pretty good. He's probably been better than most of the other quarterbacks they've had on roster. And he also carries a full load at running back. I mean, 1,600 yards last year on a not great team, um, when he's the main focal point, is amazing. So, yeah, if he has another season like that, another 1,600 yards, you'll be hearing about him in the draft a hell of a lot. So, And you'll probably see some high right, highlight real passes from him as well this year. He'll still play quarterback out the Wildcat every now and then the um, schedule so again don't play week one uh, week zero they start at home to Alcorn State and then they're away at Florida State and at home to Tulane but they beat them last year so who knows away at Arkansas State at home to Texas State and Old Dominion so this is a season of two halves I should say right Alcorn State Tulane at home Arkansas State Texas State Old Dominion you can win a lot of those games. Then they have the bye. And get this um, after the bye. Away at South Alabama. Away at Appalachian State. Away at Louisiana. Away at Mississippi State. The SEC team. The two home games. They've got ULM at home. And then they've got Troy at home as well. <laughs> so that second half of the season is brutal. You're going to want to be up at three or four, maybe five wins by the time you get to that if you want to harbour a ball game this year. But it can be done. Yeah, before the bye is crucial. They can only have one loss before the bye if they want to try and get to the championship. Because as soon as they come out of the bye, I'd say the next three games will probably decide whether or not they're going to be in contention for the Sun Belt. And then Troy, at the end of the season, that will probably be are winning in for a bowl game at worst case they may have to win that game to get six or seven wins so yeah ending at try is never ideal so yeah that it's a very lopsided schedule before the bye two lanes not easy at all but like i said they've gotten up to fear because they've already beaten them on the and road after it yeah it's it's definitely difficult so yeah, we're going to see. We're going to learn a lot about them after the bye that next four stretch. Absolutely, we are. The player to watch on this team, well, obviously, Gore, but we're going to spread the love here. The D line is where it's at. So the defensive tackle, Jalen Williams, he's 6'3, 310 pounds. Uh, part of the fearsome D line that wrecked its opponents last year. He's a borderline elite run defender whose pass rushing repertoire is starting to take shape. Hopefully you're going to see a jump in that department this season. But this guy overall is just a fantastic interior D lineman who again sets the tone in the run defense for this team. And if he has another stellar year, 
he will may look to take advantage of it because this is his first year of eligibility in the draft. He can go, so another great season for him, and you might see him pop up on draft boards next season. Right, I lied before. We've got two teams left, and then we're done. We have, and this is the most intriguing team in the conference for me this year, simply because of who they've brought in at head coach. This is the Texas State Bobcats Established 1904, they play at Bobcat Stadium. The 2021 season, 4-8, and eight, they were 3-5 and five in the Sun Belt. The 2022 season, they were 4-8. and eight. They were 2-6 and six in the Sun Belt, so they regressed in conference. The rivalries are with UTSA, the Battle of I-35. And then Nichols, the Battle for the Paddle, which is them fighting over a trophy, which is a rowing paddle. Yes. A rowing paddle. It's it, it's it's unbelievable. Coach, you know him very well, Ryan, because you love your FCS football. Gary Joe Kinney the third, also known as G G J Kinney, also hence the title of the show today. Kinney, get it done. I know it's a really bad pun. I apologise, but I found it too funny to not use. Um, it's his first season. He is just 34 years old. So a lot of these Sunbelt teams, the bad ones, going young and it's paying off. One of the most promising emerging offensive minds in the game. That's my opinion, not something I've read from a puff piece somewhere. He's still really young. Started as an offensive analyst at Arkansas before going to the Philadelphia Eagles in the NFL to work on offensive special projects, which I still need to try and figure out what that is. Then he went back into college football. He had a year, respectively, at Hawaii and then UCF under Gus Malzahn as offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach both times. He got his first break in coaching at Incarnate Ward last year and his offense went ballistic. They were second in total offense in the FCS with a staggering 581 yards of offense per game. The only thing more staggering than that is that there was a team who was more than that. Furman had 605 yards a game, which is just crazy. They had over 8,000 yards of offense and 92 touchdowns on the season. He took the Cardinals to the FCS playoffs as a fifth seed, in which they took down the second seed Sacramento State, the Hornets, in a 129-point game classic which I remember Ryan describing to us on here, before falling to the North Dakota State Bison in the semi-finals. But the Bobcats evidently took note. They wanted some of this offensive action that he's putting out there. But Kinney's coming into a messed up team that's reeling from a four-year, 13-35 and 35 record disaster under Jake Spivital, who somehow got himself an OC job at Cal in the wake of this. And this is not the conference to be low-hanging fruit at the moment. This is an incredibly tough job. But, I mean, G.J. Kinney-Rye, he is one of the, you know, for me, he's one of the ascending offensive minds in football. And that incarnate ward side last year just destroyed pretty much everybody they touched. Yeah, they were they were ridiculous. He helped make Lindsay Scott Jr. whatever last year. Lindsay Scott Jr. had a, a, a year to to match or if not better what Joe Burrow did a few years ago for me one of the it may be the best season I've ever seen from a quarterback in like D1 football it was it was ridiculous and the playoff games and some of the shootouts to get to the playoffs 
well, some of the ridiculous, some of the play calling was mad, some of it was genius, and wow, he's really staked his whole reputation on this, hasn't it? To 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 be one of the most the young offensive power minds to come in to try turn around a team that is yeah a mess and just gone completely off the rails like he probably could have gone and been an offensive coordinator somewhere better but he's decided that he wants to be the guy to turn around the program and I respect him for that he could have got a lot cushier job but mm. he's actually decided he's going to go the hardest route possible to just prove how good a head coach he is and how good he can be long term so he's got one hell, of a, one hell of a job on his hands I will say that I mean I'm just shocked that Spavitol got himself a power 5 OC job I mean god he's been awful there hasn't he at Texas State and it's like Cal what are you doing and I'll, I'll explain why in a minute because his offence last year was atrocious so the 2022 season bearing in mind this does not reflect on Kinney at all this is just what they went through the wins were against Florida International Houston Christian Appalachian State and Arkansas State they were all at home the losses on the road to Nevada Baylor James Madison Troy at home to Southern Miss away to Louisiana Monroe and South Alabama and at home to Louisiana uh, the stats, the total offense was 113th in the nation, just 325 yards per game. Total defense, though, was 49th. They only gave up 361 yards per game there. The scoring offense was 111th. They only scored 21 points a game. Scoring defense was 63rd, though, kept them competitive. 23 points a game they gave up. The rushing offense... 120th in the nation they couldn't even scrape together 105 yards per game only scored nine touchdowns from the ground on the season only went at 3.2 yards per carry the russian defense on the other hand 22nd in the nation another elite run defense in the Sun Belt. only gave up 116 yards per game 18 touchdowns and 3.46 yards per carry the passing offense was 80th the passing defense was 95th so not great in either aspect there Team sacks, they were 55th with 27. Team tackles for loss, they were 43rd with 77. But then on the flip side, sacks allowed, they were 77th. And then in tackles for loss allowed, they were 106th. They gave up 82 tackles for loss on the season. And 27 sacks. The turnover margin, they were 46th. Uh, they gained 20 and lost 17. Again, um, another team, Ryan, the Sun Belt, whose defence ensured that they maintained at least a tiny bit of respectability this year because the offence sure as hell didn't help them out. Well, I think it's safe to say we know why they brought him in because, yeah, those offence numbers were rank. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they brought him in because they think he's the only person that can fix an offence that stagnant would be a compliment to them. Their defence is the only reason they won any games at all last season. We have respectable yardage points and allowing like say a pretty good yards per carry so yeah uh, areas to improve on pretty apparent and that's probably why he came because he knows what kind of job he's got to do oh, Brent sounds like, Brent goes sounds like you're talking about Ben Johnson now Ben Johnson's better but this guy is really really damn good um, so let's look at Kinney's first season here and I've got to say I'm actually really excited about this season for them and, and bear with me but 
I'm going to draw a huge groan from Ryan here in a minute because I'm going to mention a name which he's going to not like at all. But in terms of the quarterback battle, very intriguing quarterback battle. Put it this way, Kinney has wasted no time trying to get his own guy into the program. The previous starter is gone. The new starter is undecided, but it's down to a two-way battle. First of all, and I want to see his reaction here, you all know him, Ryan. He used to play for LSU and then played for Auburn, and you hate him. Oh, I just want to see the look when he remembers the name. Same first name as our old tight end on the Lions. Oh, TJ Finlay. Yeah. Look at that look, ladies and gents. That that look of disgust behind I mean, there. It's but, a good, it's a good coup for him. Yeah. So you've got the you've got TJ Finlay, former LSU and Auburn QB. He's not been good at all, but I mean, for the Sun Belt level, like Ryan says, he could be a great acquisition if Kinney can unlock him. But What's intriguing to me, he's also gone and got Malik Hornsby from Arkansas. And you're thinking, what does he know about backup Arkansas QBs? But I stand over the starting Arkansas QB, so I know his quarterback room there. Malik Hornsby is freakishly athletic. He is he is basically Lindsey Scott. And I can see him coming into this offense. He's, he's a dual threat back. This is who Kinney usually works with. So it all comes down to what type of offense does he want? Is he going to go with the the big name SEC reject who's trying to resurrect his career, or is he going to go with the promising young SEC QB who's not had his chance yet, who kind of filter you know filters into what he usually gets as a quarterback? But I mean, for me, right as a competition here, even if it is Finley, and no, he's bad, but Finley and Hornsby, a winner out of that could potentially be one of the best quarterbacks in the Sun Belt if they get it right. Yeah, he's, his name definitely carries some weight to bring in two guys that, yeah, they carry a lot of weight and at high school, they were they were really thought of quite highly. And yeah, they've both been at, like I said, big schools. Like, they've both got experience being in and around some of the best players in the nation. So, to get not one of them, two of them, one of them's going to win the job. And you've got to feel pretty confident that if anything happens to starter, that the guy that comes in mm. can really miss a beat. This is TJ Finley's last chance, which will probably light a fire inside him. And then I suppose the the other option, like he's also he's younger. He does like say he does like dual threat. Lindsay Scott Jr. was only like five eleven, six foot. But he was rapid. He could do things ridiculous on the run. So he does like that kind of style and mould. So yeah, some some very interesting veteran options for a team in the Sun Belt. So a lot of talent there to work with if you can help just one of them. Exactly, and you knew it was the first thing he was going to fix when he went there. For his offense to work as devastating as it is, he's got to have the quarterback to run it, and he's got two very good. Very good guys in there. In terms of the rest of the team, there's been big turnover on this roster. A lot of Spivital's guys left when he went. Kinney's bought quite a bit of the Incarnate Ward team with him as well, which will be good for continuity for him. Like I said, he's potentially got a high-level QB to work with, so the offense has its building block. He actually scored some major wins in convincing the Bobcats leading rusher and receiver who both went in the portal to return back to the team. So the running back Lincoln Pair, 
He's back. He's looking to build on a 1,000-yard scrimmage season and should flourish in this new offense, to be fair. The running back rotation behind him is back, and they also landed Denario Davenport out of Juco. He's got a lot of hype behind him, so they've got their main guy, Depth, and the positive young guy behind them. Kinney's bought a big chunk of the Incarnate Ward offensive line with him. He's also raided Oklahoma for two of their rotation guys who are looking for starting jobs. He's he's dynamited that old offensive line there, and he's building it from scratch because it wasn't very good last year. Leading receiver Ashton Hawkins was the other big player Kinney you know, convinced to come back out of the portal. He's going to look to feast off much better quarterback play this season. Three of the other five top receivers are back. And Kinney's also bought Cole Wilson with him. He was his return specialist for Incarnate Ward. So he's presumably going to take up those duties again and give further depth to his receiver group. Um, on defense, the D-line, which was not bad last year, is undergoing a rebuild due to all the player movement. There's a lot of portal help in there that's been allocated to it. They've bought in Bryce Cage from the FCS team, Southeastern Louisiana, had a really good season last year. They've got Tavian Coleman in from Utah State, Devin Wright in from Boise State. They were both rotational guys last year, so they've got snaps behind them. Jordan Revels and Brian Holloway form a strong backbone at linebacker, and Kinney's also managed to prize Texas linebacker Derek Brown out of the portal. He went there as another highly rated commit, but... He's not broken into the team. He entered the Sun Belt and Kinney's got him to the Bobcats. So they've actually got quite a good linebacker room on paper if they can get all those going. Secondary is going to see a lot of new faces, but they've got some experienced starters. Tory Spears, the safety, is one of the team's best players, if maybe not its best player at the minute. Cornerback Chris Mills will lead the cornerback unit. He had a very first solid first season after transferring from Missouri. So, I mean... They've not done much in recent years, right? But if they get that quarterback firing and they get that offense running how Kinney wants it to, the defense is already the better unit on this team. They could go bowling this year and maybe more. I I think they're the ultimate dark horse this year in year one with him. I don't know. Do you agree? It's interesting because I normally frown upon teams that just send out an SOS and go try to get every Division one transfer player they can out of the portal which is what he's done but I kind of think he's got to I think he has to do that he has to inject some talent into this team and quickly because the offence like I say struggled so normally I'm against that but I feel like maybe like you say Loki it, it could work this year he's gone out and basically collected a lot of strays and given them a home and you know they could reward him he could actually find some actual gems that have come in from all over and that want some playing time and they could quickly ascend to decent level starters so yeah he's, he's gambled he's rolled the dice and said let's go and get a lot of guys that need playing time that have been around division one schools let's see what they've got and if they can click and build a team and if it works yeah they could be the team everyone lives to hate and no one wants to play. They could make life very difficult for some teams. Or it could be, yeah, these players don't work, they don't want to play together, and it, it could be a struggle. But I'm probably going to guess on the earlier. There's no pressure on him. Like you said, new hire, he's young, got a good resume. So 
if he's in this for the long haul, and yeah, this could potentially be the start of something, and they could, they could be a really hard team to play. Like I said, if he can fix that offense, as you say, the defense in general was already the better unit. Then maybe if he can work on balancing his team out just a little bit, six wins would actually be a pretty fantastic result going forward. Yeah, yeah, I think year one could be something potentially special for them. There, you look at the schedule. It sets up to give them a chance, so they don't play week zero. They start away at Baylor, so you know power five opposition there. But then you've got a three-game homestand. You're against UTSA, Jackson State, and Nevada. You can certainly win two of those. Then you're on the road to Southern Miss and Louisiana, where you could win. Then you're at home to Louisiana Monroe. Then you've got a bye week late on, and then after the bye, it gets tough. You've got Troy and Georgia Southern at home. Then you're away to Coastal Carolina, away to Arkansas State, and you finish at home to South Alabama. But, I mean, there's plenty of meat to be had, especially, again, on the first part of that season. Nevada at home, you know, Jackson State at home, Southern Miss, ULM. They could potentially do some things this year. Yeah. I don't think they'll fear anyone. They've got no reason to fear anyone because no one expects them to do anything, which kind of makes for the perfect storm. So, yeah, and I, I genuinely think that if they if some of these bigger name players like click and click start, they could make life hard for Baylor because let's be honest, Baylor right now, I don't think they're very good. I think Baylor should probably be a little bit worried about playing all these players week one, especially out of the blocks. So. Yeah, I think Texas State are going to be one of the more interesting teams watching us on this year. Yeah. Possibly one of the most entertaining win or lose. Yeah, they could be the one who really comes out of nowhere. The player to watch, I've put it, it's basically for me, whoever wins the quarterback battle. Finley is a big pocket passer. He could put up serious numbers in a Kinney offense, but I mean, Malik Hornsby has the potential to be the FBS version of Lindsey Scott Jr., who I absolutely adored last season. So whoever wins the battle there... I think they're going to put up some serious numbers in this offense at Texas State. So just keep an eye on whoever the quarterback is going to be. And we're finishing it all off. Last team. And we finish with the champions of the Sun Belt, the Troy Trojans. And I will never get tired of saying this. I predicted them to win the Sun Belt last year, and they did. And I'm so happy that they did. Established 1909. Uh, they play at the Veterans Memorial Stadium. The 2021 season, they were 5-7 and seven and went 3-5 and five in the Sun Belt. And then 2022, it just all came together. They went 12-2 and two and they went 7-1 and one in the Sun Belt. And if only they could have defended a, a damn Hail Mary against App State, it could have been 8-0. and oh, But, you know, I'm still bitter. The rivalries are with South Alabama, Middle Tennessee, the University of Alabama, Birmingham, and the Jacksonville State team now in the CUSA that's called the battle for the old school bell coach John Sumrall second year head coach and Ryan who said that head coaching was a hard job he's got one year as a head coach and he's got one sunbelt title he is an experienced defensive coach he spent time at San Diego Troy Tulane Old Miss and his most recent assignment before he got this job was in Kentucky as an inside linebackers coach and co-defensive coordinator and as we all know Kentucky is known for developing its 
defensive talent. There was Josh Pascal that we drafted while they were there. Mike Edwards is a Super Bowl winner already. They developed Kelvin Joseph, Jameen Davis. I mean, it's just a laundry list of guys who are now in the NFL. He was left in a good position by his predecessor, Chip Lindsey. It was a good team, but he kept failing consistently with really good teams. So it shows to show you can have the roster, but if you ain't got the right guy to build it, you'll still be bad. They did have the 49th strongest roster in the FBS last season, and the defensive roster strength was 13th in the entire country. We made That's the point we made last year of it was going to be that good it could win them the conference, and it did, but you've got to develop that talent, and boy did he. I mean, this team was just was not even that great. They had a rank average offense that scored less than 18 points in six games, and they only lost twice. But he just created an absolute juggernaut that took them to the championship bowl game. And they won a bowl game as well to top it off. They beat the CUSA champions, UTSA. I mean, they started off 1-2 and two, and then they rattled off 11 straight wins. And a fun fact, they were 10-0 and 0 when they rushed for more than 60 yards, which is just getting ridiculous. But I mean... <laughs> Some rule he took a good team over, but they'd won they'd not won they'd not had a winning season in like four or five years and you've still got to develop your players and I mean boy he, he made a bang year one. His bread and butter is his defence and that carried them all the way to a conference championship showing that it can be done. Yeah, it's just one of those rare occasions that sometimes you just inherit a really good team because the previous head coach wasn't good enough to get them over the line despite the glaring talent. A bit like when Stafford kind of walked into LA and won a Super Bowl. Hmm. The predecessor, like you say, and the coaches just just couldn't get it to click. And then someone comes in, do you know, do you know what, when you're playing like a fruit machine and you, you're not winning, yeah. and the next person sits down, puts a coin in, and wins the jackpot. And it's really annoying, like you say, because the previous are like, well, why couldn't we have done that? But yeah, like timing, situation, perfect. And yeah, when they got hot, they got hot. Uh, they were they just they just shut teams down week in week out and made life a misery for opposing coaches. And now they've got a big old target on the back. Yeah, but the scary thing is this team has it was <laughs> go go through the twenty twenty two season now. They have got a lot of room for improvement, and if if they improve further, the gap could to, towards everyone else could get insanely big. So the wins last year. At home to Alabama A&M and Marshall, away to Western Kentucky, at home to Southern Miss and Texas State, away at South Alabama, away at Louisiana, at home to Army and Louisiana Monroe, then away at Arkansas State, at home to Coastal Cal, and then they won the Cure Bowl against UTSA. They lost to Old Miss on the road and Appalachian State on the road in a game which they should not have lost, and I'm sorry that I keep mentioning it, but it annoys me to this day, taking that stupid safety and then losing on a Hail Mary will bug me for all time. The 2022 stats, the total offense was 95th, 360 yards per game. Total defense, they were 19th in the nation, so top 20, 326.7 yards per game. Scoring offense was 81st, 25.5 points per game. Scoring defense, 8th in the nation. They only gave up 17 points per game. The rushing offense was 107th. The rushing defense, 24th. 
Gave up less than 120 yards and 3.5 yards per carry per game. The passing offense was 54th. That was where they did excel. The passing defense was 36th. And then in team sacks, they were 14th in the nation with 41. In team tackles for loss, they were 70th with 79. Sacks allowed, they were 118th. They gave up 46 sacks on the season. The poor guy at quarterback. And they were 89th in tackles for loss allowed. Turnover margin, they were 31st overall. They had 27 turnovers, but then they lost 21 as well. But that 27 earned was one of the highest in the nation altogether. I mean, it was. It does not take um, a genius to figure out where this team won and where this team can get better. But, I mean, if that offense even goes to mid-pack, they could be ridiculously good in this year. Oh yeah, the, there were too many close games last year because they were unable to just put any teams away. Defence wins championships, but also it made games ugly. It made them unwatchable at times because their brand of football is not always appealing on the eye, but it is effective. But yeah, they made life way too hard themselves. Your defence should not have to hold a team to 17 points. That's just asking way too much. They, they're, they're really lopsided. Like you say, their defense was absolutely stellar, and their offense, like you say, their quarterback sacked way too many times, couldn't get a lot going through the air and on the ground, and yet it really was a trial by fire. It's it's amazing that they won a championship. Like I say, that defense honestly deserves, I'll say, all the credit because also it took the ball away a damn amount of times too as well. It was great everything. So yeah. If their defense is eighty percent as good as it was last year in centre, and their offense gets twenty thirty percent better, they will probably be overall a better team, and they can defend their title. But they could probably do it a lot more convincingly at times as well. They were not always convincing, and they were dragged into some proper slugfest. Yeah, and the scary part is they still won, which is just like, yeah, they were lucky, but they can be so much better and I I remember the game that stood out for me for the most last year was the South Alabama game that was the one that basically decided the the division and the conference they won 10-6 and this was the two informed teams coming against one another South Alabama's high octane offense against Troy which was decent enough in the defense it was just like man it was watch it was like watching that Bears offense when they were running Andy Dalton and Justin Fields in combo year one it was it was unwatchable but hey it, it works. If it works and you win, no one cares. Um, so looking on to next season, so the quarterback, and just like South Alabama, they've got a settled quarterback situation. And it can't be understated how much this helps. The quarterback is Gunnar Watson. He is back for his sixth season at Troy. This will be his last year. He spent the last three as a starter. He's got over 6,500 passing yards for the Trojans. He knows the system inside out. He's very accurate. He's got a 65% career completion rating. He has ball security problems, though, that need sorting out. He threw 12 picks last year, and he fumbled the ball 10 times while running it. Um, You've got to keep the ball in the hands of your offense to allow your elite defense to keep fresh. And I think that's where the problems came. He coughed up the ball way too much. But again, they've got a stable QB situation, and they have the defense to sort of bail out from these guys but it's it's telling isn't it right about how the good teams have settled quarterbacks and all these others were saying might be good 
they are struggling to find their guy. But you've got to watch it. He's the most experienced guy in the league. And it's the kind of veteran you need to win you a conference title if you've got this elite defence to go with. Yeah, when you've got a guy that's been there for three years and coming in six years, like I say, you don't really have to try that hard to run an offence. Like I say, they, they trust him. He knows them. And play calling and all that is pretty seamless. Yeah, the one issue was the defence was on the field far too often because he kept giving the ball away. If he cleans up the turnovers, then he'll make life a lot easier for himself and everyone else. So that's that's a really easy thing to fix as well. Exactly. Work on a, some drills. So yeah, if he can, he can go back to being one of the more productive guys. Right now, he's just a guy that's kind of he's safe. Yeah. They've got him there because he experiences. He's not flashy. No, he's not. Does he make big plays? No, he don't really. But he's kind of just the guy there that can just keep them ticking over, moving down the field, manage the block, and. Let everyone else kind of do the, the heavy lifting. Like you say, yeah, he just needs to work on sloppiness. It was sloppiness last year. Yeah. And by now as well, yeah, sixth year that he'd like to think he can clear that up pretty quickly. If he does that, then be a be a cakewalk. If he, if he just stops giving the ball away, so yeah. He'll, and especially his last year, he'll want to go out on a high. Yeah, absolutely. Because you're not going to be threatening the draft here, but you know you want to leave a legacy, win two in a row like UTSA have done with the CUSA. Make your mark on your team. The season preview in general. So, like I say, Troy have a lot of areas for improvement on the team. But again, the scary part is if they do, few teams in the Sun Belt will even get a sniff at this unit. The offense is where things need to improve. They've got a steady veteran presence at QB, as we've just mentioned. But the O line, it needs sorting. So, their long term starter at left tackle, Austin Stidham, has run out of eligibility. That leaves a big hole for them to fill there. Although there is a lot of experience on the line. They need to make major jumps in pass pro. Sumrall has hit the portal. He's bought in Oklahoma State center Eli Russ. He had over 100 snaps in the rotation last year. He's looking for a starting job, and he's also bought in Oburn guard Colby Smith to inject some new talents. That's some promising Power 5 transfers there. Um, Troy uses the tight ends mainly for the run game to provide assistance there and in Clay Olandiek and Dayung Kraya Lewis they've got two very good run blocking tight ends to reinforce their trenches there so it helps that the tight end room is stacked for them this year the running back room is in good condition if this line can block again their star running back Kimani Vidal is back he had 1,100 yards and 10 touchdowns last season. And Sumrall also got a very good pickup out of the portal. He brought in Asa Martin from Memphis. So last season, uh, last season, he had seven touchdowns and he was running for over five yards per carry at Memphis. And that was a decent side. So that's a really good running back too there. So you've got a one-two punch in your running back room, which is really going to carry your offense this season. The wide receiver room will need a reset. Leading receiver Tez Johnson has gone to Oregon. Second leading receiver Rajay Johnson is out of eligibility. They do have a 500 receiving yard man in Deshaun Stroudemeyer back. And they've got a room of depth guys behind him who should emerge as new targets for Watson. But the run is what is going to power this team this year. And if some of these receivers can stand up, they may have... A good balanced offense this year. Defensively, a lot is changing. So, Shield Wood, who was the DC last season, it was his first year. 
He came with some role. He's already left. He's taken the same position at Tulane as DC. He's been replaced by Greg Gasparato. Now, why this is significant, he was co-DC with Shieldwood with Army in 2020. The pair of them created a really good Black Knights defense. So, schematically, he's got a guy who works exactly the same as his predecessor. So, nothing much is really going to change there. It's just the name on the door. The D-line is formidable. So you've got TJ Jackson, Richard Jibuno, and Javen Solomon. They combined for 34 tackles for loss and 20 sacks last season on the edge. And then they've got a pair of heavies in the interior, Buddha Jones and AJ Pierce, who anchor against the run. So that D-line is just absolutely monstrous. The linebacker core has been hit, though. Carlton Marshall broke the NCAA record for most tackles by a player ever with 578 tackles in his career at Troy has run out of eligibility and his running buddy KJ Robertson is done as well he had 245 tackles as well so you're replacing 800 tackles worth of loss in there they have been building their replacements in-house so you've got Terry Thomas and Jaden McDonald they are the guys who have been getting trained up to fill those inevitable gaps but there's going to be a drop-off initially and it remains to be seen how big an impact it has because those two they were the engine this was an entire unit this defense was and the engines getting changed so are they getting a V8 in replacement or are they going to get a shoddy little one liter? Who knows? Secondary, though, very healthy spot. Reddy Stewart is one of the best co conference's best cornerbacks. O'Shea Fletcher and Del Pettis are great depth there as well. And they've got plenty of depth in the room. So, I mean, on paper, it's it could potentially be good this year. They've got the running back room. The offensive line needs work, but he's gone out and got guys for it. You know, so the offense could be better. And on defense, it's just how big losing those linebackers is. But you would think with the D-line and the secondary, at least, you've got a good framework to work with and you could maybe go again with a really good defense. Yeah, a bit of change on defense. Like I say, you're losing two, two key guys in the middle. But if the back end is can be pretty much locked down and the front is pretty much just like a blanket, it's mullers, then... You shouldn't really notice it too much. Still, the linebackers just have to pick up the stragglers. Anyone that actually gets rid of the defensive line, if the offense, if the passing game is able to step it up a little bit this year and Quabbit turns over, you probably won't even notice that the defense lost anyone. Like if they can step up and take a little bit of pressure off them, which they need to, they've got a responsibility this year to, I'd say, be better, take more pressure off the defense, especially as well that. You're hoping that the new defensive coordinator, that nothing changes. If it's just in the same mould, it brings the same brand and the same intensity, then you shouldn't really notice any different. But yeah, defending a championship is always harder than winning one. Like I say, you never like change, but they're not too fundamental changes. Like I said, they're not going through anything severe. So they'd like to think that nothing really should upset the thing team and how it goes through. He likes to go through his ground game. He likes to go through his defensive line. And for the best part, they're fully intact. So, yeah, they're in a good position to try and defend the title. Yeah, I feel like they are still going to be the team to beat this year just because of how elite that defensive is. There's plenty of good elite defences in the Sun Belt, but 
these just raise their team so much and they just stifle so much. But just as an aside, I mean, can you imagine taking 578 tackles in a just a college career? I mean, what those two guys did there was was really amazing. I mean, it, it's going to be so hard for them to replace Carlton Martial, but I mean, nearly 600 tackles. That's got to be that's got to do something on your body at such a young age. Yeah, that can't be fun. I wouldn't recommend that. I don't think it's. I wouldn't necessarily say it's something to be that happy about. I feel like that's probably a bit worrying uh, that, that he needed to mop up that many times, but it shows he's reliable and dependable. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I guess he's been on some bad teams beforehand, so I don't know where he is. I'm guessing he must be a free agent because he's not in the NFL, so. Don't know. I hope he gets a chance, though. With um, that kind of mileage, I think that'll probably put some teams off. Yeah, <laughs> that's a lot. Um, but the schedule—I mean, the schedule fits out really well for them. So I'll not do it in order, but just this is their away slate this season. So you're away at Kansas State, which is your Power Five one, but then you're away at Georgia State, away at Army, away at Louisiana Monroe, and away at Southern Miss. That's it. Your home slate is James Madison. Western Kentucky, Stephen F. Austin, Arkansas State, Texas State, South Alabama, and Louisiana. So, you know, you've got three of your closest rivals there, and you've got them on your patch. Your, your away schedule is a cakewalk, really. There's, there's nothing on there you should be concerned about. The, the schedule has landed probably the best for them out of every team in the Sun Belt this year. That, they could run that if they get that offense going. Yeah. They can go give try and give Kansas State a scare. And then, yeah, everyone else, they should beat everyone else away. They should be going far and one on the road. Like I said, that'll be far and annoying conference play, basically. So, yeah. And then home schedule. Yeah, everyone you're going to play that's going to be a real competitor or a challenge any title, you've got home team advantage. So, yeah, 10-11 wins is very doable. And it, 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 it should be the aim, like you say, realistically. Getting back to the title game is very achievable. And the schedule has been very kind to them. So, realistically, I don't want to hear no excuses. No. Unless anything happens, like you say, I, I, they can't really be intimated. That's a very favourable schedule for a, cha- a defending champion. Exactly. So, that's why I think they're going to be writing it again this year. Um, the schedule is just, yeah, it's worked out so well. Uh, no, he wasn't drafted, Brent. I know, over 500 tackles, he's an undrafted free agent. He's probably going to end up in one of the summer leagues, probably first, spring leagues. He might come in the NFL eventually. Dan McGuinness says, all right, fellas, all right, Dan, hope you are doing well. Um, just to end off the segment about Troy and about the everything in general, the edge TJ Jackson is the player to watch here. He's 6'1", 270 pounds. Like I said, Troy kills you in the trench. TJ is the heat-seeking missile they send off the edge to hunt you down. Last year, he had eight sacks, seven quarterback hits, two forced fumbles, 14 and a half tackles for loss, and 40 total pressures overall. I've watched some tape on him. He is so technically good with his hands. He wins so quick off the line of scrimmage with his hand fighting against offensive linemen, which just allows him to get in the backfield and make all those big plays, like play after play after play. He's still got two years until he's draft eligible as well so 
he could be the best defensive player in the Sun Belt by season's end if he has another season like he's had here. And he will get a huge transfer. His name will be all over the portal if he has another great year this year. So TJ Jackson, the edge, is the guy to watch there. And with that, that brings a close to two weeks of looking at the Sun Belt. I mean, it, there's a very eclectic mix of teams in here this year, right? The East is very competitive with a lot of teams who will want to win it in there. But the West, I mean, there are potentially some teams that could come out of nowhere and and cause waves. But then you've got two of the best teams in the entire conference in South Alabama and Troy. I feel like the CUSA one. It's so hard for me to predict who's going to be in the championship game because it's it's very competitive for the most part. Yeah. In this half, you've got teams that could go winless or could could be real dark horses. This half has got the real unknown factor. We know pretty much everyone in the other half is got, going to be competitive. At least five or six of them think that they can at least win eight, nine games. Like, so you've got teams in here that could win one game, could win seven games. Like I say, Troy could, their defence, like I say, under the new coordinator, like, he might just have a terrible year, it could just collapse. Like I say, it could just, like, they don't like his player calling. He might try to change too many things. Texas State could come in with all their new D1 transfer portal players and just be a juggernaut and blow teams away. So, yeah. It's, it's kind of impossible to know what we're going to get, really. What you see is not what you get, and even though it looks like Troy will be concrete favours, like I say, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be too sure. I'd say like that, you'd pencil them in as the favourites from this half. I, th- I think you do. I, I do. I mean, I was in on them early last year, um, but I do... I do feel like they are going to be around again, but just sort of in general, let's take Troy out of it. Who who would be the team after that? Who are you? Who's going to be there? Who do you reckon's got the legit shot of it? Because like I said, there are a lot of teams here, and I'm finding it really hard to find a playmate for them or someone who's going to take over them. But outside of Troy, who 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 are you really looking at this year? Uh, I think we Southern Miss and Louisiana. I think actually they will. They're just used to winning, and teams that are used to winning usually find a way to get back to winning. And yeah, they they, they got a reasonably good hire, and they're, they're still a threat. I feel like they're a team that could surprise a few this year. They could bounce back fairly quickly. Yeah. I, again, I find it tough. I'm putting my faith in Marshall this year. I think Marshall are going to cause waves this year. I just I don't know. There's something about it. I, I just something about that team. I had this feeling about Troy last year. They're there as well. South Alabama are in, but we will do this when we, we we will do our prediction show before the season starts. We will predict the championship games and we will predict the winners. So we'll have a bit of time to think about this in more detail. Um, I think that will underwhelm is actually going to be James Madison. I think losing Todd Senteo will actually have a huge effect on them. I know a lot of people think, even though they're not eligible, that they could kind of make a run again. No, I think this might be their their, their first down season. Finding a new quarterback to replace him is going to be hard. It's going to be a bigger task than I think they think it is. I think Coastal's going to collapse. In all due honest, and as much as I want Tim Beck to succeed there because he's he's Wolfpack man, um, 
I think they're going to struggle this year. I think they're going to be the ones they're gonna, they're hit, they're hitting the reset button, and that offense is just it's just got to be so the defense sorry is just so bad. Um, that is everything from us. If anyone has got any questions you want to ask us before we get out of here, please do. I'm just going to go through a few bits and bobs first, and then we'll answer anything when I am done. So next episodes, um, the next episode of the main Roar of the Lions UK podcast, the Detroit Lions one. We'll be coming your way next Monday, the 24th of July. We are going to be previewing training camp. Thank the Lord it is finally here and we get to talk about real things once more. Um, the College Pod, me and Ryan will be back next Wednesday. Um, we might be doing one over the weekend. I don't know, but we'll let you know because I'm, I've got a lot of content to fit into an ever smaller window of time so we may be doing some extra shows coming forth but we'll certainly be back next Wednesday we'll be starting the next of our conference previews think it's going to be the mountain west next we're going to go hiking in the hills to see who's going to be king of the mountains next season um, and we've got a few other good bits coming up as well um, and then on of course this Sunday as well or Saturday we'll be doing the next of our rookie tape reviews so last weekend we did Corby Sawstall and Broderick Martin, we've had nearly 600 views on that video so thanks to everyone who has watched that and joined in with us it's good fun, this week it is the turn of Brian Branch and Hendon Hooker so we're going to be taking a look at our next two rookies in the series there um, and I think that is just about going to cover it. No, no questions coming in. Anything you want to get off your chest, Ryan, before we get out of here? No. All right. Say we're, we're flying through these, and it's, yeah, football is nearly here. It is. Season's going to be here soon, but still quite, still some teams to go through, and like I say, we will crack on with that again next week. You can find us all over the internet at YouTube, Roar of the Lions UK, Twitch, ROTL underscore UK, our Facebook page, Roar of the Lions UK, and our group, Detroit Lions Fans UK, One Pride Worldwide. On Twitter and Instagram, you can find us at ROTL underscore UK, and on our website, www.roaroftheliondsuk.com. Thank you to everyone who's been here this evening. Next Lost Oceans goes great show. It's quitting time at work though. See you both next stream. See you soon, Lost Oceans. Thank you for joining us. Really appreciate you being with us. Thank you to everyone who has joined us on YouTube as well. Um, Brent, I will answer that question next time we're on. I will. Uh, I will get. In fact, no, I'll do it quickly. Who's the top five teams in your opinion? Top five Sun Belt teams. Or I go before we quickly get out of here. Uh, Troy, Marshall, James Madison. Southern Miss. Oh, we've got him here. Louisiana. Been out of the top five teams this year. All right, so I've got Troy, South Alabama, Marshall. Oh, I forgot South Alabama. Yeah, South Alabama, Marshall. Um, oh, I just say Coastal Cal. Um, Louisiana's on there for me as well. And Texas State's going to be on there. Screw it. I'm going all in on Kinney. Texas State is going to be in the top five. So thank you ever so much, and we shall see you again very soon. Good night, one pride.